Greetings and salutations. You've successfully arrived at the bloody, disgusting network. The passage of time will now bring you to something strange, unique, and idiosyncratic. Have a good time. My friendship to all of you precludes my involvement with any one of you. But if you wanna make love, then I do too, and I'll be right there behind you. Constant listeners, and welcome to another episode of The Losers Club, a Stephen King podcast presented by Bloody FM, the number one horror podcast network in the world. I'm your host, Michael Miniseries Rothman, back in Lisbon Falls, Maine. Yep, where we all spent our holidays a few weeks back. Don't worry, though, I'm not going back to 1958. Those days have come and gone to quote a recent time traveler. No, instead, I'm going to saddle up to Frank's, which you might remember as the Kennebec Fruit Company, where I'm going to toss back a few Moxies, uh, golf down one of their Rurumbo burgers, ah, I got it now, and sit back with my fellow losers to discuss a story near and dear to us. 11-22-63. Whoa, wait, Mike. You dedicated eight episodes to that book already, you fucking loser idiot. What the hell are you talking about? Well, first off, how rude. Second, I'm not talking about 11 slash 22 slash 63. I'm talking specifically about 11 dot 22 dot 63. Hope so. Uh, Yes, we are going to be talking today after (laughs) much delay. My fault. Uh, We are finally going to be talking about the 2016 miniseries developed by Bridget Carpenter, who also executive produced the eight-part series alongside Kevin McDonald, no ties to the kids in the hall, Brian Burke, J.J. Abrams, and a guy named Stephen King. Uh, Ever heard of him? Well, uh, I think you you have because you're listening to The Losers Club, a Stephen King podcast. Uh, So look, if you recall, the series aired on Hulu. Ever heard of it? Pretty good streaming service. We're not, we're not sponsored by it, at least not yet. Uh, anyway, almost eight years to this day, this miniseries uh, premiered there. Stars James Franco as Jake Epping, Sarah Gadon as Sadie Dunhill, and Chris Cooper as Al Templeton. Was it a hit? Did it come and go? Or was it maybe, just maybe, the true origin of the King Renaissance. We'll discuss today and coming through the doors just in the nick of time, hashtag Christopher Walken, hashtag King's Dominion, are my fellow losers. First up, she's coming all the way from Nashville to visit some cousins here in Lisbon Falls. Jen, say hello and uh, tell us the first time you saw Jake Epping commit his fake brother <laughs> to an asylum. Hey, this is Jen.2.TheRage.Adams. And the first time I watched it, I watched this as it came out. I was very, very excited. I can't remember if this was before Castle Rock, 
or not. Before. But but yeah. so this was the reason I got Hulu because and yeah. I think I like got a gift certificate for Christmas or something because I was like I gotta watch this fucking thing because I watched or I read the book and I loved it and I made Corey read the book too and he loved it and so like we watched every episode like as it comes out I have like vivid memories of watching it and you know the highs and lows of all the stuff so yeah I was I was very very excited about this. Yeah, well, look, uh, contain that excitement. I love when people, I, the, there's a movie by Jim Cummings out there called The Beta Test. And I, I'm very wary of using the, the word excited anymore, even though I use it all the time. Because in that movie, he's just so, it's, it's very self-aware at how often we use excited. And it's the same uh, uh-huh. thing, like putting LOL at the end of like comments on our text messages. Just everything, we're, yeah. We're well, LOL or haha means oh, don't yeah. be mad at me. That's exactly. Yeah, yeah. Which is like almost every text message I ever get now. We've just oh, lost it. We've lost the narrative, yeah, lost uh, the but it's okay. Yeah. It's okay. Uh, from okay. the second city, that is Chicago for you uninitiated. The second city, you might call it the windy city, and it's not because of the wind, uh, or at least a half dozen Chicagoans will tell you at any moment's notice. Flieger, say hello and regale us with uh, how this miniseries was actually the first time you learned about the JFK assassination. <laughs> this is Dan, uh, Dance Dance Revolution. Oh. <laughs> a lot of dancing talk but i i yeah. it's we we quoted dance so much that i actually kind of forget how the actual quote goes and i'm and after we episodes with you guys <laughs> yeah it was whew. um yeah so I, I also watched this when it came out and i i really enjoyed it I, it's i have some issues with it but even on the rewatch i was finding myself really sucked back in to the point where i streamed it in two sessions Oh, so, interesting. Interesting. And I'm not I'm not the biggest JJ Abrams guy. I I you know, I got through Lost. There's some uh, amazing seasons and then I f- I just feel like he doesn't know how to end things. He's like the proverbial mm. SNL sketch that doesn't <laughs> know how to end. But I I do think they they landed the eagle has landed here mm. and uh excited to talk about this with you fellow losers. Were you when it aired though, uh how soon did you go to the library to learn about you know the the magic bullet theory and all this other yeah stuff. i don't know anything about prezo dance and <laughs> who is this bicarbonyl legislature guy? yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I, as someone who has a degree in political science and a law yeah. degree uh yeah no I, I, I'm, I'm pretty into presidential histories and uh, history in general um but i yeah and i mike and i have talked over many beers over yes <laughs> just how insane the jfk thing is and just how badly we want information to come out you know what i mean it's even if it confirms or denies what i already believe i just want the information yeah so any any project that goes toward it, I think, chisels away at that veneer and gets us a little closer to the truth. Hey, I've got good news for you because we do find out what happens in this miniseries. We do. You know, what yeah. actually happened. Well, we, you know, we speculated so much in those book episodes and like what was real and what isn't much to the chagrin of our uh, listeners. I, I assume they were so totally thrilled with those debates. Uh <laughs> But we finally got the facts, and um, we're going to be talking about them today. And so this Franco is, facts. Yeah, we actually got the Franco facts <laughs> oh, we got. Geez. So, um, so like alternative well, facts. <laughs> hey, you just heard a third voice there, a fourth voice, if you're counting me. Uh, but look, I don't even count myself sometimes. So <laughs> let's say there's three here. Uh, actually, no, it's the fourth from Boise, bringing the noisy. Hopefully a little Sam Cooke and Elvis Presley and those sweet hits from the early 60s. Uh, she's hopping out of a pink convertible. Couldn't get the name on that. That uh, Maybe it was a Cadillac. I don't know. She'll tell me. Rachel, grab a seat. I'll flag the waitress and tell us your go-to Kevin O'Connor joint. Oh, my gosh. Yes. Hi. <laughs> um, Rachel Rabbit Hole Reeves, back oh. reporting for duty for 11-22-63 <laughs> duty. 
Um, I believe if you're talking about there's a, I think it's a Thunderbird is what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I knew it wasn't. Um, it de- de- definitely wasn't a Catalog. I don't think. But there's um, a there's a lot of cool cars in this there series. There is. Yeah. Um, but Kevin O'Connor, more importantly, Kevin O'Connor. You know, I mean, Deep Rising. Mm, that's my go-to. Probably too. great, but he's also pretty great in Lord of Illusions. Too. Yeah. <gasps> oh, I love so, that Scott Bakula. Yes, which I don't love Lord of Illusions, but mm-hmm. I do love O'Connor in that movie. So yeah, we'll go with those two. <laughs> what was your first time uh, experiencing Kevin O'Connor in eleven dot twenty two dot sixty three on Hulu? I also watched this when it came out. Yeah, and I was so excited, and I loved it. So it's been interesting revisiting it. <laughs> Yeah, because I was like, oh, wait, this is definitely aged a little in Mm -hmm. um, my perception, which I'm sure we'll we'll get to. But so that this was great revisiting it. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because this might be one of the first instances. And we look back on a lot of things on this podcast, on Halloweenies and in my own life. But this really might be the first instance where I'm like, oh, my God, I'm getting old. This is already eight fucking years yeah. old, and this feels like it just was yesterday. Like, yeah, I know. what the fuck? And so, yeah, I, I vividly remember, God, I always say vividly on these podcasts. I apologize, <laughs> listeners. Please don't leave a one-star review. If you're uh, excited. <laughs> I, I just get excited. You know, what can I say? I'm so excited. Too many adverbs. Um, yeah, too many adverbs. One star. They are the King hates me. Um, but I, I do, I was so excited for this because this was, I mean, as we talked about on those six to eight episodes, love this book. And, you know, we'll go into the history of it in just a, a minute. But when the first announcement started coming up, I, I think I texted you immediately, Flavor, because we had been talking about adaptation for this since we read the book. Yeah. We were like during the book we were reading and we were talking about how would you cast this? Where would we go with this? And, you know, streaming was so early at this point. It was start. It was still budding, you know. But at this point, I mean, this this came out before Stranger Things. Like, it's it's pretty wild. So mm-hmm. this is still in its infancy. But I I do remember at the time I was a TV writer. I was working. Um, I had you know it was all splitting my my time between you know multiple stations. But I remember writing for the AV Club at the time for I believe Ash vs Evil Dead and uh, a couple other shows. And I was so excited for this one that I. I really wanted to write it. And so, but the thing is, is that I was about to get on a plane to go to Europe and I had already watched the screeners or at least half of them. Like Justin and I, we we had watched them ahead of time and I was like ready to do it. And then as I got on the plane to go to Europe, which you don't have any Wi-Fi on it at this, at this, this particular flight, flight didn't, but we got the Wi-Fi uh, or, or I didn't get the Wi-Fi. And so, but when I got to the hotel to get the Wi-Fi, I saw that the editor at AV Club had asked uh, me and a couple others if I would be, you know, be interested in covering eleven twenty two sixty three, and I said yes, 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 not realizing that I'm now seven hours ahead of time. And at that point, what's funny is uh, former uh, fellow loser Allison Shoemaker was able to uh, to grab it, and she she wrote some incredible recaps, and you can go read them over at AV Club. Um, I was very angry that morning in Britain (laughs) (laughs) and I had been waiting so long. I said, just wait, wait, you can wait seven hours. Like, come on. But fortunately, as I say, with all uh, work, um, I'm I'm glad that I could, could have at the time kept it to myself. And uh, so it was, it was a fun time uh, revisiting these episodes and God, does it feel like uh, it feels like yesterday, but then at the same time, if you turn to one side, it feels like a long time ago, which I guess you could say about time in general. Mm -hmm. Um, But let's talk about time some more 
and because uh, we've got a hell of a TV party ahead of us. So let's look at these cool periodicals that I printed out last week during my trip to the Dairy Public Library. Mike Hammond, if you see- Excuse me, sir. Do you have Prince Albert in a can? You do? Well, you better let the poor guy out. Mike Hanlon, that I had to go, that I had to get cleaned up. Tell him. Tell him. Tell him I'll see him tonight. Get out. Last chance, told you. Get out. Get out. Okay, well, we usually do a rundown when we do these movie reviews or miniseries reviews or TV reviews or any of it. But the rundown is really the history and the story in itself. Uh, So if, you know, we're going to start with the minds behind the miniseries, we got to start with the late and great Jonathan Demme. And don't scratch that head of yours. Yes, yes. The Oscar winning director of Silence of the Lambs, Philadelphia, Stop Making Sense, Something Wild. Rachel getting married. The list goes on. He was the first person to license this project. The only catch is that King had complete veto power over every aspect of the project, which says, I mean, how much he loved this story. He doesn't traditionally do that, I don't believe, Mm. but this was like, you know, he really was like, all right, now we got to do this right. So why didn't Demi work out? I mean, in the 90s, they called him basically uh, Oscar, Oscar, who's like an Oscar magnet. I mean, everyone won for, I mean, 1122, Silence of the Lambs <laughs> became an Oscar anomaly by basically winning an Oscar for everyone, including Anthony Hopkins, who had eight minutes of screen time in that. Um, and he's still, you know, a far cry from the Brian he Cox and Band. He only has eight minutes? Yeah, he's got like some yeah, eight minutes. That it's movie. like one yeah. of the shortest Oscar wins. And it's, it's one wild. of the, like, the only three movies in history that swept the big five, too. Yeah. I think it's I think, well, I think uh, Cuckoo's Nest yeah. is one of them, and mm-hmm. I believe it... It happened maybe, one night, I think, it, might be I think so, one. yeah, yeah. Sorry, but it, don't, you know, listeners, if you know, let Either way, Demi, big name. So when this was first announced that Demi was going to tackle it on, it was a big deal. Um, but it didn't work out because, as King told Rolling Stone, he was pretty adamant that it be a theatrical film. It was like, John, I don't know. This is pretty long and complex. Make it into a movie is like sitting on a suitcase. You try and cram everything in and something always gets left off. Eventually, we looked at each other and said, this isn't going to work. Oh. Now, now, I kind of want to stop here for a second. And do we think that Jonathan Demme, who has one of probably the most acclaimed filmographies of all time, could have made this work? Could this story work as at least, I'll give it, Let's see, the average movie time. I mean, look, we just had Killers of the Flower Moon at three hours and, and 34 minutes. Could we do this in, let's say, three hours? I, oh, go ahead, Jen. Oh, yeah, I'm, no, you go, sorry. Oh, I, I was going to say, the only way this would work from a narrative perspective would be he would have to go back to the day of Kennedy's assassination or like a day before. And he would just have to keep entering the time void and gathering information quickly to stop the, you know what I mean? He couldn't go years in advance the way they do in the miniseries. Even the miniseries curtails it two yeah. years, right? They mm-hmm. go to 1960 instead of 58. Right. Yeah. So I think if they did this, it would almost be like the, you know, edge of tomorrow thing where oh. he keeps going back in the day of like at Daily Plaza mm-hmm. and just has to, that's the only way I could see this working as like a two to three hour film. I don't know. What do you guys think about that? I think they could have made it work. Um, 
I think it would have felt really rushed. And I think, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's reminding me of all those book episodes where we were constantly talking about which part do we care more about? Do we care about the Sadie part, the Jody part, or do we care about the the plot, you know, or the the mission? And I feel like if they took out all of the Sadie, Jody stuff, they could have made yeah. it work in like a three-hour yeah. movie. But that would have... I mean, maybe Dan would have liked that better, <laughs> but I i don't know. On the other hand, I think I really would have liked a grittier tone for this, mm-hmm. like yeah. a little more darkness, because that's the one thing that really, really hits. I mean, that's, um, that's the thing for me. Like, if I have to compare... Do I want a Demi film or a J.J. Mm-hmm. Abrams film? I'm yes. going to pick a Demi film. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I'd be curious to see or hear, like, what that film looks like to Demi, because clearly he had ideas... So Mm -hmm. what were those ideas? I would love to hear that. I would love to read that script because he's probably thought about that. And if he's familiar with the book and he loves the book, of course, he's got a plan. So I I think it's doable. And yeah, I don't know. The love story, I don't think of a love story coming from Demi. You know, I I do think of like the more like grittier thriller element, which, of course, like I love that part of this book. So I'm all for it. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I just... Yeah, it would be hard, but I think it's doable. I he's a clearly a talented, you know, creator, so it's, yeah. it's not like he's doesn't know what he's doing and he's done adaptations before, so yeah, yeah I don't so know. Yeah. He's he's very visual. You know, could you mm-hmm. think about like Silence of the Lambs, so much of the storytelling is just what you're seeing in the portraits of characters, you know, like moody. that just, that just uh, yeah. yeah, like moodiness, like the atmosphere speaking so much the dread being able to kind of um be a propulsive fuel for the storytelling. And mm-hmm. even when you watch something like Philadelphia, there's a lot of visual storytelling in that as well, where, you know, you're not, you're not being told who's, you know, X, Y, and Z characters are, you know, thinking or doing. It's just kind of, you're seeing them in the moments. And yeah, this is a very big story. And I do think that you would have to just slice out chunks, like the whole Harry thing gone. Yeah. Absolutely. Gone. Yes. Um, yeah. And I think he can do emotional stuff. Like, I think Rachel getting married is really, really great. It is, yeah. And I would also be really interested in a story that's more like a Bachman story where he just goes back to, like, maybe two days before or something. And it's just about the past trying to fuck with him on this, like, mission that's really just from A to B. But that doesn't feel like 112263 to me. That feels like a different... That's the Bachman version of it. Yeah, I I do think the... I don't know how much he'd balance Sadie the more I think about yeah. it. Right. And, and I yeah. love Rachel getting married, but Sadie would probably get the biggest cuts. Cause there's a lot of parts of the miniseries that linger and just like the book. And that's mm-hmm. what I like is when you get to find out more about her and it's not even essential for the story, but it's essential for the character. Mm-hmm. I never thought about this, but like, cause you mentioned edge of tomorrow. Another one I was thinking is like source code where Jake Gyllenhaal yeah. has to keep, who actually I think is would be a perfect Chicago character. movie, uh, Ooh, Chicago yeah. movie too. Um, my all time crush, Michelle Monaghan, in there is uh, yeah, is amazing, co- and she's great in it. And I that God, I didn't think about that. Like if you did do it, where he's kind of going back, and Sadie is the person that's kind of in the Michelle Monaghan role. It's a totally different story, but you could do something cool with it. I mean, it, I think the constant readers would just lose their fucking minds. Yeah. But yeah, it, it would be very like frenetic, like the pacing wouldn't match the novel at all because the yeah. novel takes, you know, when they, when they slow down and just kind of take it, it, I think the whole point of him going back in time is seeing this slower, more peaceful past without, you know, all the distractions. So I, yeah, it, it, it's fun. I would like to see that version of the movie, like source code. I think that's like, that nails it, Mike, like that 
oh, uh, here I am. Now I have right to figure now. it out. But it, it just it would it would I don't I don't think the Stephen King fans would be a big. I don't, uh, I don't think Stephen King would be a big fan yeah. no. either, of that. Yeah. So like I I respect the fact that they very early on realized this isn't going to work because it, I mean, it's so close to him as, you know, right. the mm-hmm. veto power thing. And it's just like, all right, we're never going to be on the same page and let's just part friends and not right. like make this a whole mess because it's just yeah not going to work. What and if he said, the... we're not going to part friends, though? He's just like, this He's isn't like, going to work. And then click. Yeah. He's like, you're dead, <laughs> to, dead me. to me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Delete my number. He's like blacklisted in the yeah. industry. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Stephen script. King Who unfollowed is? me on Facebook. Um, uh, Jen, sorry, I, I cut you off with that dumb joke. <laughs> well, I know, no, no, it was well worth it. Um, no, and I think like we've seen a lot of like time travel movies. And I think that what makes movies like Back to the Future special and what makes this book so special is the living in the past part you know right if if you take that out i mean the really the only notable thing is king and kennedy you know and i just i don't know i don't know if it's a big enough draw i would like to see the bizarro version of it since we do have this though i think it would be interesting like a dollar Um, baby version yeah of 1192 dollar babies just You just have like someone in like a cardboard car just driving in like a street that doesn't look anything like Dallas. It's just like, get him, get the president. And you're like, it's like, wow, really like Lee Harvey Oswald is driving the car and just like turns around and fires. (laughs) Like a high school adaptation, like (laughs) musical version of Like Rushmore, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it's like a 97 Honda Civic too that like Lee Lee Harvey Oswald was driving and like someone with like a 90s Mustang and it's just like for the the cattle. Anyway. Hey, um, we can make this happen. I know. I would watch that. (laughs) I do. I do wish there was the script somewhere to look at because I know that yeah. in some of the quotes I was reading, like he did say that he was working on it. He was kind of putting it together. I, I'm i just curious to see what it would have looked like. And I, I agree that the grittier tone is something I want to kind of revisit as we keep going because that that is the first thing I thought of too was just, God, that would have been fucking cool. Mm-hmm. Um, well, anyway, perhaps in another life, as they, uh, as they say at the end here. Uh, in this one, though, King hit up Abrams, who suggested a miniseries, which uh, something... You know, that's a medium I think King is very familiar with. Uh, you know, seeing how The Stand, we've got The Shining, <laughs> Just a we've few. got It. We, at this point, it's like a million of them. So yeah, I think he was like, yeah, let's do this. Uh, so basically, here's the quote. Um, so many movies are like short stories, says King. But long form TV is really like 19th century novels where everything has a chance to stand and breathe a bit. It's hard to go back to episodic TV after watching something like this even a pretty good show like The Blacklist looks a little pressed together. So question to you, is uh, Blacklist a pretty good show? I haven't watched it. Um, but My I know dad it. loves it. Yeah. <laughs> and that's like, it all. <laughs> religiously watches it, t- yeah. tries to talk to me about it, and I have no idea what he's talking yeah. about. Yeah. James Spader, right? Yeah. Like yeah. old short-haired James Spader? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, like a hipper Bosch? I think so. <laughs> like, like he's kind of debatable. sassy. Is he Robert California from The Office in that? Like, because if that's More the case, I'm in. But like, he's a killer too, right? Like, isn't he a killer and his like they're yeah. trying to hang out like, with him? There's some fam, yeah, some family oh, dynamics the bad guy? in there. Yeah, well, he he's a bad guy with a heart of gold. He's like Hannibal Lecter, kind of. I think. Oh. Speaking of Jonathan, he I don't think he eats people. Sorry, right, he, he wears someone eat people. Crazy, Not on the but... show. <laughs> Like, hey, in a blacklist, here's your badge. Slides it across the desk. Try to hold on to it this time. That's how I imagine the show. It's like, uh, you're, you know, this this case is a catch. Like, he's just like, (laughs) 
basically ask, acting so, just like himself. You know, I don't approve of any of your methods, but you're the best goddamn <laughs> cop in the city. Like, I think it's to... his daughter. His daughter is the cop. Yeah. And he's Wait, like a killer. his daughter's the cop and he's a killer? And he's yeah. the killer, yeah. Oh, he's man. like on do... the he's on the blacklist. Oh, my and they're gosh. trying to find killers in the city. He's <laughs> a script that can't be made by Hollywood? The blacklist? <laughs> Sorry. <that's> a... <laughs> hey, wow. one more move <laughs> and uh, I'm putting you on the blacklist. <laughs> See you next Friday. And it's like fr- freeze frames or whatever hey and have um, a good weekend blacklist yeah. <laughs> his <laughs> name is now blacklist detective you know, blacklist guys there's 10 seasons of this show oh i yeah. bet whoa it's one of those shows that like you real it's like what blue bloods or something and you realize oh it's been on for like 20 can, can years I, on the topic and bringing it back to 1122 so <laughs> there is an active community on reddit of 112263 hulu Really? I'm not joking. Active, I was going like, through it earlier as today. As like, when was the last As in post? posts were up this month. Oh, wow. We got to get post this episode on there. So if, if, if you guys want to take a look at 1122 Hulu or 1122.6 Hulu, them. it's worth checking out. Because uh, do, do there, still have some, some like, stuff theories? I learned and researched for this episode on Ooh, that. Interesting. Oh, interesting. Well, you've showed your cards, sir. And yeah. uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to be reading top comments. Now, while you're there, can you go to back? Slash uh, blacklist. Blacklist. Uh, right? Yeah. <laughs> what is blacklist about? What is blacklist? <laughs> what is blacklist? Um, <laughs> all right. Well, look. Uh, so miniseries it was, and that meant uh, Hulu, Bad Robot, and all the masterminds I mentioned at the top of the episode were all on board. Uh, but let's go through one of them uh, one by one. So I mentioned earlier the miniseries was developed by Bridget Carpenter. Who is Bridget Carpenter? Well, Bridget is a television writer and a playwright. Uh, Dan Caffrey, uh, he's a playwright too. Maybe he probably knows her. Mm-hmm. Uh, whose resume is really perfect for this project, I would say. So she's worked on Dead Like Me. Anyone watch that? Loved it. Really? Yeah? yeah. Good one? Okay. I liked it. Jen, what about you? You watched Dead I Like Me? I didn't watch it. No, okay. I tried it and it had, it was like, I don't know, I got sad in the first episode. And I was like, no, I don't want to be sad Parenthood? Loved I love the movie. Parenthood. Oh, yeah, so good. Yeah, it's got a Lorelai in it. Lorelai Gilmore. It I does think. have Lorelai in it. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, she's um, great. It was the pre This Is Us, I think. I think so. Yeah, I, I, you know what? This Is Us has hit Netflix, which I'm sure is just gonna be like number one for like the next ten years. Oh, like yeah. Suits was. Suits. Yeah. And I, I, I watched like a little clip of it, and I was like, oh my god, this is. I can't ridiculous. do it. Just ridiculous. I know. I got a cavity. Yeah. But I'll say what isn't ridiculous, <laughs> which is the main show that she wrote for. I have a tattoo for this show. It is Friday Night Lights. Which oh, I yeah. think is arguably one of the best shows of all time, and I would so say good. you can feel the influence of that show big time on this yes. uh, on this miniseries. Um, did everyone watch Friday Night Lights here? Nope. Rachel, I feel, I feel like we've talked about this before. I know. I, nope. It's I so good. I didn't Mike watch it. Mike and I, oh, sorry. There's my tattoo right here. It's the, I was going to say, we, we got into it right around the same time. And I'm a football fan, but Aww. not high school or collegiate. Yeah. And mm-hmm. it's it's so well written. And it's so, it it sounds like a cliche to say, like, it's about what happens off the field. Yeah. But, but it, is, yeah. It, it accurately captures family relations the way that home improvement did for me as a kid. Like, I was oh, like, that feels I've like a that. real marriage. Yeah. yeah. Um, I've seen Varsity Blues. Is it anything like oh, that? Love well, Varsity Blues. It's. I don't want to say it's better. <laughs> Varsity Blues is like the Michael Bay version of like the adaptation of the Buzzbinger uh, Bizinger uh, book because Absolutely, this is it's all yes. it's all pulled. I mean, have you ever seen the movie Friday Night Lights from the Hots? No. Oh, it's really good. It's that, sport. That, it is. I'm like. <laughs> I know. I look. I hate football. The only sport I like is uh, is basketball. I love the Heat, but I hate I hate football. I've seen and Little Giants. 
I like Little Giants. Well, look, if you like Little Giants, you'll definitely love Little Friday Night Lights because it's it's got the same sort of family, like what Fleer said, the family dynamics are so incredible in this, but also just, it's so much about Americana. And mm. I think the further and further we get away from it, I get more and more nostalgic for this era that I hated. I hated the aughts. I hated it so much, but it really is the last gasp of everyone just kind of being connected. And right. there's there's something about the small town environment and what it says about the larger, uh, you know, day to day of American life. And I I just when I rem- I remember reading about that when this show came out, and that and I hadn't watched it yet, so I was like, oh god, Friday Night Lights, whatever. But you know, now I've since seen it, and it's, I, I fucking love it. I love. I love that show so much. I've probably watched it five or six times. I literally have a tattoo of the the, the um you know full eyes clear hearts full eyes clear hearts yeah, yeah. So I, I have a clear eyes full hearts eleven twenty two version do you oh, really fuck yeah the trans and it's like right? it's a, like a it just says you're a patsy above yeah. your back yeah it says coming <laughs> coming Jonathan January past you don't even have you don't even have like the uh, the actual poster it's like a preview poster that came out like months before <laughs> it's August. like coming yeah. coming president's yeah. day you didn't even Rachel, watch there it, are a get... lot of really hot people in Friday Night Lights yeah. I think you would really well, do. I have go. a friend right. we have the same birthday and she likes Riggins and I like Saracen so we always on our birthdays we'll like like text each other happy birthday number two you know I can't remember their number <laughs> That's funny. It, it, just yeah. and to bring it back, Jonathan Nemi, I just found out was born the same day as me in oh. New York, and then studied at University of Florida. So. Oh, wow! And Who's he passed wait? on the show. But JJ are you Abrams Jonathan Demi? Are you Jonathan? <laughs> Surprise, guys! I've been holding it back. <laughs> Holy shit! <laughs> From the grave, you let yeah. us just have that whole conversation about you. You know, <laughs> were you there when the when the Talking Heads uh, filmed the filmed it and didn't realize they had enough beta tape? To I said, whole, I said, you know. Dave. Stop making sense. <laughs> the rest is history. Wah, wah. Uh, okay. Well, so but speaking in, of history, yeah, yeah. In addition to writing five of the eight episodes, Carpenter also executive produced the show with Kevin McDonald, Brian Burke, and as I mentioned, Abrams and King. And oh my gosh, like the talent, everyone, it it just keeps piling on. So McDonald, uh, that would be Kevin McDonald, Scottish Not filmmaker. Ronald. Not Ronald McDonald, who's okay. since been erased, I think, from McDonald's. I don't think that's oh, he's there that's anymore. Right. Grimace he, is like the big feature. Yeah, I think it's big. He's it's got big the Grimace. Riz right now. I think. Yeah, I, I know Sammy's so obsessed with Grimace to the point where her favorite uh, Hanukkah Christmas item this her year crocs. was was her fucking Grimace <laughs> so Crocs. Cute. Yeah, we come back from a trip and she's like Grimace Crocs. I was like Jesus, <laughs> it's like a kid finding a box. Um, you hear that? Okay. Anyway, um, <laughs> so McDonald's, not the the brand, but the film filmmaker from Scotland, pretty incredible resume. So highlights of his include 1999's One Day in September, which is a documentary about the 1972 murder of 11 Israeli athletes, and it won him the Academy Award for Best Documentary. You're a documentary guy, Flieger. Have you seen this one? Yes. It's very good? good. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, uh, I believe it's, uh, I shouldn't say this without knowing it, but I believe it's Munich. The film is is based on very yes. similar. Yes. Oh, I've seen yes. that. And that that's I I love Munich. Like that's I'm a big fan. But mm. yeah, big doc, big doc head, middle aged yeah. white guy, big surprise. <laughs> wow. Well, you know, hey, I like documentaries. I like a good Dan story. Ken Burns. I, I always think of like when you when you say nonfiction or documentaries, I always think of the the guy in Sideways who's like he tells Paul Giamatti, it's like. Who needs fiction? There's so many great stories out there. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's like, all right. And he just <laughs> like father-in-law. Yeah. yeah. It's like nods with his wine. Um, he also did Touching the Void, 
which is like a 2003 climbing documentary. Yeah, that seems right up for me. Yeah. yeah, is that is that about like Everest probably? Uh, I believe it's either Everest or K2, but okay. yeah, it's, I think it's, it's K2. Yeah. Anyone have K2 fatties? Remember those or rollerblades? No. All right. <laughs> what? I, I remember. <laughs> they were they were seriously they seriously, were like Google? the skateboard version <laughs> of yes. K2. Fatties? They were so big. They, they had grind. They had grind rails <laughs> yes. on them, so you could grind. Yeah, 2000s, it was wild, man. No, this I is in the late nineties. This is like the late nineties. Late nineties. Yeah, yeah. So I didn't back need when like, rollerblades to grind. <laughs> back when there was no reset button. Um. So there's also 2009's State of Play, which is a political thriller. I remember seeing that. I remember thinking that was actually pretty strong. Um, I, yeah, I can't because I think they tr- they they tried. I think that's the one with Ben Affleck, maybe, or maybe they did a uh, uh, an American version of it. But um, either way. Uh, he did that. He also did a documentary on Bob Marley called Marley, and he did a post-apocalyptic drama called How I Live Now and a thriller in 2014 called The Black Sea. I think given that pedigree there of, of history and his brush with thrillers, pretty good smoking gun for this series. Uh, mm-hmm. You know? Um, hey. <laughs> yeah, I would say so. You know, like it stays on theme. Has anyone seen like Black Sea or How I Live Now? I haven't seen those, but... Um, I've seen yeah. The Last King of Scotland. Oh, yeah. Last so. King of Scotland oh, he did yeah, too. Oh, yeah. That's a good movie. And that good. won Forrest Whitaker like, the Oscar. Oh, because it's like he hangs the dude up by like his chest muscles and like... Mm-hmm. But yeah, it is good. It's like James McAvoy's in that too and he's hot. <laughs> Wait, did he do... He didn't do Constant Gardener. I remember like that, liking that movie a lot, but I, I remember f- feeling like it was like in the same realm of... Yeah. Uh, of let me see no that's uh, sounds like a normal movie and it's like a fucked up movie yeah it's a really (laughs) fucked up movie but uh starring um uh what is it voldemort what's his name um (laughs) the guy yeah uh, no not liam neeson uh ray fine ralph (laughs) ray fine no you're thinking of schindler ralph ray fine fine. okay i was we're both there ralph fine so we got mcdonald down um So Burke is a big time producer. He uh, he co-founded Bad Robot with Abrams uh, and as executive vice president of the company, he served as pretty much the for every piece of television and production. He was the executive producer. So he's had his hands in most of the Star Wars, Star Trek, Mission Impossible, Cloverfield movies. He also worked with Alias, Fringe and Lost. And and here's a tell. Early, early on in his career, he worked, uh, he developed uh, 2001's James Dean, which starred James no Franco. Franco. Yeah, James Franco. Uh, so that's, there's a Franco connection. So anyone watch Fringe? I, Justin says Fringe I, is great. You like I Fringe? I loved Fringe. Yeah. yeah. Okay. It's got we all lo- in it. I like that. Apparently, mm-hmm. it takes place in the same universe as the X Files. It does. So, yeah. Which I, I think I watched the first season. It was good. Which Stephen King wrote a story about uh, called Chinga, did, an Chinga. episode, not a story, but also a story. Uh, <laughs> anyway, anyone watch Alias? No. no. I watched the pilot after the Super Bowl. Oh, Ooh. because she was in lingerie in the beginning, and then they made <laughs> her like, change from yeah. black oh. to white, or vice versa. So in high school, that's why you, you watched like, it. Well, it's in freshman yeah, I mean, year, I imagine you're probably like, what? Well, this was what I, I watched Family Guy premiere after the Super Bowl in '99, yeah. but yeah. anyway, yeah. Well, we I think at the time they were really, you know, it's the early odds. As like I said, the worst era ever. It was just the, the fucking worst era. Anyway, well, Arguably, I don't need yeah. to go down that road. Um, so yeah, okay. So great pedigree there. Uh, and we know, we know Abrams and King. I don't think we have to go too far into either of their careers, but they are uh, sort of synonymous with each other in, in certain ways. And we kind of talked about their relationship and our coverage for Lisey's story back in 2021, which is now 
almost three years ago, which oh, is really wild. Uh, Don't but believe it. I know. Yeah. But we should probably revisit it just once more because this was their first official collaboration. Uh, and they really, really tried to work together for many, many years, going all the way back to Lost. Who was a Lost head? Anyone watch Lost? Oh, I was a Lost head. Yeah. yeah. I had a standing date to get Kudoba takeout and watch Lost with my friend. And I would sit by the window and smoke out the window because yeah. we couldn't smoke. In the- oh, that's so cool, Jen. Yeah. yeah. I love it. <laughs> I love it. Uh, what about you, Rachel? No Lost? I, I watched the first... I feel like I watched the first couple seasons and I just like as soon as I realized there wasn't a dinosaur, I was like, I'm <laughs> All right, yeah, we're out. <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> I think they promised polar bears too and like nothing came they out did. of it. There was a polar bear. We eventually got polar bears and some hot polar bear sex between my favorite couple of the season or the, oh, which, the whole show. Who, who are they? Sawyer and Kate. Yes. I I say, a Sawyer. Sawyer, I'm a Sawyer head. Yes. Me too. I yeah, remember uh, I had a asshole. I had a. Yeah. McFarlane figure of him on my shelf and I was single at the time and the girl I was with was really a huge Lost fan and she walks in and is like is this Sawyer and I was like yeah and she's like why do you have why do you have an action figure of Sawyer why not Mike lays in bed and strokes it looks like it's me and you you. gosh Um, but it was it it was so weird too because it talked so like but she was just like you don't have any other figures I was like yeah I think Sawyer's pretty cool that's all you need Sawyer I I could make an argument that Sawyer was like the prototype for Homelander too yeah I can oh. see that. Yeah. Oh, and Gambit. He was originally supposed to play Gambit in yeah, the his... X-Men movies, that actor. Yeah. That would have been yeah. great. Josh, I think his name's Josh... Uh, Josh something. Boone, maybe? I can't, Josh no, it's not Hot. Josh Boone. That's a... Hasn't really done a lot since. <laughs> he hasn't, which is, which is a shame. <laughs> um, because I really liked him. Actually, so he was supposed to... Uh, Josh Holloway. Holloway, that's be, right. See, I was close with the hot. <laughs> he got screwed over big time. And honestly, you could argue yeah, Bad Robot screwed him over because he was like even in Mission Impossible and they like kill him mm-hmm. in the first five minutes or something like that. So he, I always liked him. I always wanted him to be in like a reboot of Miami Vice because he reminded me so much of Crockett and like oh, Don yeah, Johnson. Um, but anyway, think he could have played Jake. He could have played Jake. That would have been nah, fun. He's a little too old at the time. He, Maybe he, he's like too old. And, well, you know he's what? Also it's too funny though because in the book Jake is six four because they they hit on that many times. And I think the actor is closer in height than Franco, Franco is. Right? Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm assuming Franco is like five ten standard Probably. actor yeah, height. Yeah, guy. like Tom Cruise, Mission Impossible. He's like five six. Yeah. Well. Or five eight. Anyway, it's not besmirch uh, the king. So. No, but only only because of relevancy <laughs> to, to the book. Savior of cinema. Yeah. <laughs> He's, but he is. But it, it's it's we, we it's talked true. about it so many times though that they they really do hit on the height because being that tall in the 1960s, you stand out, right? Yeah. Being well, six four now, tall, you stand too. out. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. J- Jacob Elordi's like six five. Oh yeah, he right. is a god. Yes, I don't he understand. Is. <laughs> he has to go to bed every night just being like, thank fucking Christ. I have, I'm like the perfect specimen. We talk yeah, about him and like the, Sydney Sweeney are just like, oh, yeah, unreal. Oh and then Glenn He's Powell's the hopping yes. around there too. Everyone's Man, so fucking beautiful. This is becoming such a TMZ episode. <laughs> I know. Well, look, it's a, it's, it's fitting. We're talking about it Hollywood. Is. We're talking about it's, TV. It's a sexy, sexy city and a sexy town. Um, so how did they get together? And I'm talking about Abrams and King, not Sydney Sweeney and <laughs> Jake Bullard. How Jake do we make Lordy. that happen? Um, so. If you recall, Josh Holloway was a real big uh, Stephen King fan. I'm just joking. So <laughs> King was a super Lost fan, and he covered it uh, religiously on Entertainment Weekly in his column, which we have covered before on this podcast as part of the Stephen King archives. And mm-hmm. we are going to have an episode on it, I believe, in February. So stay tuned for that. Uh, you're like, wait a second. Whoa, 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 wait. Mike, where do you get that episode? Good, good, good question. www.patreon.com slash the Barons. We're good. So King 
Matt Abrams in 2006 when he and his lost co-hosts, co-hosts, co-executive producers, you can call them co-hosts, Carlton Cruz, Carlton, Carlton Cuse, I always fuck this up, Carlton Cuse and Damon Lindelof, all three of them went up to Maine and uh, the four of them talked loss in the process that goes into, you know, creating books and movies and Abrams has a really fun meet cute story that he told to the Television Critics Association around the time that 112263 was uh, premiering. He says, I was lucky enough to go with Damon Lindelof and Carlton Cuse to Maine, where my wife is from, to sit with Steven and go to a horror movie with him afterward. Uh, everyone, uh, every time someone died horribly on screen, he would cheer and I just <laughs> fell in love with him. <laughs> And so I read, I actually read that it's the, the movie that they went to go see was The Descent. Oh, is, oh so it was a great movie. movie. So it's yeah. a good one, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I just think it's so funny because it's like that, that movie's so macabre. Mm-hmm. And, and scary. And terrifying. So I just love the idea of King just Wait, sitting so there. Wait, so every just, like, time, what, like, like those yeah. deaths are brutal. Like, like every brutal. time one of those bitch. women like, died. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I just, I think so, probably. He's, he's uh, you know, he's... He's macabre. He's the dance macabre. He's the master of horror. So if yeah, he wants yeah. to look at, he's probably thinking those creatures are nothing compared to the dreams of his. Uh, the <laughs> <laughs> he like turns my to JJ from. Yeah, it's like you think this is bad. Enter my nightmares and Wait, just, you see oh, this. I think that was the TNT <laughs> ad for nightmares and dreamscapes. Anyway, um, so what were they doing in Maine? Who the fuck knows? But I would say they were probably talking about the Dark Tower. Because um, yeah, they were very interested, Lindelof and Abrams, in adapting the series. Um, and it's been reported. I don't know if this has ever really been confirmed, but it was reported at the time that they obtained the rights for King by bidding for nineteen dollars. And I think mm. King was like just through the moon about that because, as we know, he likes to put nineteen in his books. So, um, <laughs> like our Ooh, listeners, like oh, <laughs> like the Tim the Tim Robinson <laughs> nod, like oh, cool. Um, <laughs> So the, why didn't that happen? And why did we get this 2017 movie written by a Kiva Hollywood hack Goldsman? Uh, well, it's because Lost was such a mental strain, particularly on Lindelof. And I think at this time, Abrams is already kind of like, all right, I just did Mission Impossible. Eh, I don't know if I really want to do this. And so they, you know, Abrams goes, after working six years on Lost, the last thing I want to do is spend the next seven years adapting one of my favorite books of all time, which I kind of a weird quote like he doesn't say why like i mean we know why because we're constant readers but the optics on that quote very strange um but makes sense i wouldn't want to go into the dark tower right after doing lost that would be a fucking nightmare and i think they both saw that but yeah what do you think do you think we could have gotten a cool abc show called the dark tower oh, God. and um yeah. starring james spader as the <laughs> man in black oh that'd be great <laughs> just- yeah it's just weird when you think about like what he did go and do though yeah. next because it's like well that's like are you kidding exactly. that's easier yeah <laughs> right yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I'm 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 very I'm I'm a big Steven Soderbergh fan and mm-hmm. I feel like him and JJ Abrams are two sides of the same coin where they're both very technically proficient yeah like you yeah. can give them anything and they could make a working thing I just find that Soderbergh leans more on experiment yeah there's like a there's some kind of originality whereas jj abrams i feel like is just remaking steven spielberg 
yeah projects yeah. in his mind over and over and there's a great interview on Howard Stern with him and Artie Lang that I can't even get into because it's so inappropriate <laughs> but he's kind of there praising his masters and Artie just immediately cuts JJ Abrams down and he's so uncomfortable but it's so hilarious wow. not even in a mean-spirited way but it's just you could tell that it's like everything he had written for the PR tour just got thrown out the window and it was fun to see JJ Abrams the guy at the helm of Star Wars and Star Trek which is almost like a conflict of interest it just kind of is, him yeah. kind of lose it yeah i let's talk about abrams a little bit more because i think this is a good place to do that i you know i don't i can't recall if we went a little long on him with lisi's story but i don't think we did because he was mostly just an executive producer and is really pablo lorraine who can run circles around mm-hmm. <laughs> anything oh, yeah. he does um where are you at on Abrams, Rachel? Like, are you an Abrams uh, head? I mean, you said you got you couldn't get through Lost, so I, I'm, I'm very interested to see where you you land on some of his work since then. I mean, I, uh, I mean, I think his Star Wars movies are the best Star Wars movies out of all the. I'm just joking, guys. <laughs> I mean, but I also like don't hate him. I liked his Star Trek. I've seen a lot of Star Trek, and <laughs> guy loves a good lens flare, you know. Yeah. Which I was into at the time, and now I'm like. I okay. All righty, bud. <laughs> Let's try something new. But I, I don't have anything against him. I appreciate his passion. I do like every time yeah. I hear him talk about something or I see an interview with him, I genuinely feel like he does love these properties mm-hmm. and he does pick projects that he's excited about, you know, whether it's Westworld or whatever. Like he's very dedicated and passionate about what he does. And so I can't necessarily hate on him for that. But yeah. It's hit or miss, I guess. Because I also, yeah, mm-hmm. like I love Lisey's story. But like you said, that's an executive producer role more than directing. But he, I, I, even, I like Super 8 too. Yeah, know. Super 8 is interesting. I Especially now that we're so far removed from the film and since we've gone through like a post-Stranger Things world mm-hmm. and yeah. so much of Stranger Things in a way, it's such a weird yeah, thing because it's like, it's indebted to that, but then that's all indebted to like Steven Spielberg. That, and that's Ritchie almost the and, like, double feature of, uh, eight and Fablemans would be very interesting, like oh, Super yeah. Eight and Fablemans. Oh yeah, that's a that's actually a really curious one too. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, the passion though is there. I remember mm-hmm. one time at South by Southwest, we they were showing he had he must have had something going on. Oh, it was twenty sixteen. Honestly, it was probably eleven twenty two sixty three because mm. I didn't go to any of that because I had where you watch the screeners and we didn't have a podcast at the time, so it was kind of like all right, well, I'm not going to go to this, whatever. But he had just remastered uh, Phantasm, and he he actually showed up. It was at the the smaller theater that they had. That's right next to the Paramount. And I will say, it was kind of. I, I remember Caffrey was there and Randall was there. And Fleer, were you there that night? I, I think like, I was. Yeah. Yeah. And we were all like, you know, I'm not like obsessed with his work, but it is pretty fucking cool that we just had like the director of star, like one of the star Wars, like just sitting, like standing like yeah. three rows away from yeah. us. And his passion about phantasm was palpable. He was dead on about all of it. Um, I think Don Cascarelli was there too. It was, it was a very weird night, but it, it, to see him speak passionately about a movie that has always been sort of this, you know, cult classic. I still think even today, it's not like the ubiquitous horror movie that most cult classics of the eighties and seventies became. Mm-hmm. But to him to say like, oh, this is a re- one of the big reasons why I got into film. Like, I, I, yeah, I felt, I felt seen as the kids say because that's a movie that made me feel like, oh, I can get a camera and and go out and do it. So, I, I did. Or he, the passion gave me some some points towards him too. He, he, he does have 
passion and but it's it comes across as like youth group like christian youth group leader energy flip his chair around <laughs> yeah like he he he's not he's not going to take the biggest of swings and i think that's no. what 1122 you know you're obviously working off a great source material but there's not a whole lot that he does. You know what I mean? Like, whereas like it's Demi almost like too much something... reverence, right? Like, yeah, it's, yeah. yeah, you're too close to it and right. not able to like, is this the best thing for the story? How do I make this my own? How do I move this forward rather than just having it kind of just stay stagnant or dormant a little bit? And Jen. like, I do think that he takes big swings like visually or like on scope, you know, because mm -hmm. the thing like and I'm not a super J.J. Abrams fan and I'm kind of like a mid Star Wars fan. Like I, I enjoy them all reasonably. And so I'm just kind of in the middle. But like, I do know that he's probably going to be attached to something big that's going to have some it's gonna look explosions. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's going to be cool. But I think you're right, Dan, like he does not take big risk screens like swings you know it's going to look really great it's going to have like a-list actors it's going to have people that i find very attractive but it's gonna be safe and i feel like that almost kind of cuts it, his knees out also i think he gets a little too excited for his britches sometimes and doesn't yeah. think all yeah. the way through everything you know it's it, it's he's technically proficient but you know yes. what i mean like like it's very difficult to do what he does and put something to translate something, but mm -hmm. it's like that something gets lost in translation. And I, yeah. I agree with both your points too. And just like the reverence, you're right for the source material. It's almost like, Hey guys, one of the fans is making it. And you're like, well, maybe we don't always want the biggest fan to make it. And hey. that's when we were talking about King having ultimate veto power. It's like, that might not be the best thing. Like, right. not that I don't love King, but like his, his work is his work and it's a different medium. And I think sometimes when you are too close to that vision, then you can't translate it. And I've got a lot of thoughts about the changes to this story and just changes to adaptations in general, but but that's probably for later. Hey, well, we, we got to get to later because we've already spent a lot of time on that's Abrams. True. Hey, I apologize, I apologize to you, JJ. We got to get going. So they talked about the Dark Tower. Didn't work. Didn't happen. Uh, even by the time 1122.63 dropped, uh, the Dark Tower still hadn't come on board. Um, but we were a year removed. <laughs> from the the classic uh dark tower Ugh. movie that we, we've talked many <laughs> times on this podcast with <laughs> know and love. um but the good news was is that abrams and king finally managed to find a project to, to, to work together do you all know what that project was was it eleven twenty two? it is eleven twenty two sixty three. <laughs> oh my gosh the episode that we're doing right Shocker. now so so abrams told uh the television critics association uh, how it all went down he said quote this is a book that i had loved long before Stephen King reached out and asked if I'd be interested in getting involved to produce. Um, and he, you know, so this is obviously, this is, you know, he's the one that suggested the miniseries. Um, but to JJ's credit, and this is why he's a great producer, he said the ball was really in Bridget Carpenter's court. He adds, Bridget and Stephen both told stories that were so incredibly compelling and grab you by the heart and the throat and drag you through this thing. And he's referencing Bridget's uh, Friday Night Lights stories as well. Uh, it wasn't, oh, and also just the fact that she's a fucking playwright. So that's, you know, the two writers there. That, so he's really kind of paying credence to the, the other creators there as opposed to being like, well, I found this project and it's great, you know, and mm -hmm. that's, that's a mark of a good producer, I would uh, add again. Um, he said, it wasn't in any way easy. And the work that Bridget did was remarkable. In some cases, introducing new characters or in some cases, cutting existing ones. We were very lucky to find Bridget and have her not just wrangle it, but tell this beautiful Stephen King tale. 
And Abrams was pretty self-aware too on just how this was like, oh yeah, great. Another, another story about time travel. Here you go. Oh, great, Abrams. What's going on? So he says, you know, I, I would not have thought that I would have been involved in a number of time travel stories. It's a wonderful and frankly overdone trope. And yet when you see Back to the Future and see something as funny and heartfelt and exciting as anything, you realize, oh, it can be done great. And to his credit, he knew why this could be great. Um, he said, Stephen writes in practical effects, not optical effects. He makes fantasy tangible, real, and material. You don't need major special effects as a filmmaker to adapt his work. The portal back to the past is a closet you can walk into and then take a few steps down. It's not magical. Shimmering wall or a vortex. I, th- I think this is a really smart read of King. I do too. That's I'm going to be yeah, thinking about that going yeah. forward, you know, because yeah, it is the because his strength is like making the thought processes real and like yeah. these monsters come alive in a practical way that makes them feel real. And I think that's where a lot of um, filmmakers get in trouble when they try to adapt his work. And that's like when you look at something like Pet Cemetery, even though not all of the effects hold up now, like to maybe, you know, higher standards, but there's the heart that's there and the heart matches with the practical effects. And so you feel it even if it doesn't look the best, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Any, uh, any thoughts on this quote? Um, yeah, no, and even just going on that, like, you can get too lost in explaining what's happening. Mm-hmm. But even retroactively in the Stephen King universe, it kind of makes sense when you have like the evil or the dark side. It's like, yeah, no, we we conceal our portals in everyday situation. You know, it's like when Jake goes through the portal in the house, it's they're like, yeah, no, no, practically, it's just better if we kind of hide these things and just make yeah. them, you know, nondescript. Mm-hmm. So it's like, yeah, no, it's just a closet. And that it somehow fits with both versions of that, like keeping it simple, but also keeping the complexity of the Stephen King lore. Well, well you put the... the complexity where it needs to be, which is yeah. right. the story and the characters. Yeah. What's that? I mean, Sammy always says when we talk about practical effects, it's like, oh, well, it takes up space. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's kind of true with most of his writing. Like I think about Cujo. In Lesser Hands, mm-hmm. that could have been such a far-fetched book, but we, we feel the heat. We feel the pinto. We know what the pinto is. The little details of even just like the cucumber slices just mm-hmm. in the heat. I mean, I haven't read that book in like seven fucking years and I still remember the cucumber slices sandwich. Like it's just little things yeah. like that that make it feel so much more palpable. So I think he's right here. Um, but he said that in terms of involvement, uh, King was very long distance. Uh, Abram said he was involved in everything via email and phone. There was also a day when we were on set together, which was very special. It was the, the cherry on top. So, plotting. As we know, there's some major changes here. Yeah. There's the, the whole Bill Turncott mm-hmm. character uh, played by George McKay, uh, which we'll get into later. And then there's the whole matter of conspiracy, which we all discussed, as I mentioned before, uh, to much controversy in December. Um, and let's just say Carpenter uh, would have been a great addition to our interviews uh, in, <laughs> in, Randall's, uh, in Randall, Randall's Roundup. Uh, Jen, why don't you read her quote to, to Rolling Stone. Okay. I was a lone gunman theorist at first, she says, but I have turned 180 degrees. My theory is that he was part of the CIA and perhaps went rogue, and there was a cover-up because of the national embarrassment that would have caused. Franco is quite torn on the matter. I'm easily swayed, and every theory has some plausibility, he says. But then you read something like James Elroy's American Tabloid, you're like, oh, damn, there is a conspiracy. Yeah, I... I love that the that uh you know 
she's at least willing to acknowledge these things, you know, and yeah. you know, whatever. I, but, you know, what did King say? I think that's a big question after reading that quote. Mm-hmm. He was like, vetoed. I am out. <laughs> this is done. The whole series is over and Bridget Carpenter was fired. No, that didn't happen <laughs> at all. He was thrilled. He confirmed to Rolling Stone that he never once used the veto power. And uh, Abrams even echoed that fact. Uh, Abrams said, what's so cool too was that Stephen King responded so positively to some of these ideas. I was unsure if he was going to embrace some of these, I think, significant adjustments, uh, but they were unnecessary and he saw that. Uh, And then Carpenter added, um, he read every draft and watched every cut. Uh, He was an unbelievable supporter. It blew my mind. He's writing like a book a month. And then he would uh, call and say, have you, hey, have you seen Mr. Robot? It's really good. And I'm <laughs> like, when do you have time to do this? This is crazy. Um, I, I do think that's really funny. Uh, about <laughs> Mr. Robot the, is really good, too. It, the the first season, I remember like loving yeah, to death. Oh, first yeah. season's good, but I, Justin's impression is so funny where he's like, it's a conspiracy, or yeah, is or it? Is it? <laughs> yes, it is, but not in the way you think, or yeah. maybe it is. <laughs> it, it should be noted that Justin has... Um, Gone as Mr. Robot, I think, eight times on Halloween. Oh. Yeah. He's like Ron Swanson. This is my costume. Yeah. Even, yeah. even though his... Hey, uh, I respect that. I was Snape many, many years in a you're, row. You were Snape for many years? Wow. Yeah. Because it was a good school-friendly costume. Mm-hmm. And it was just a graduation robe and mean look on my face. So, yeah. <laughs> Anyone have it's a now recurring? problematic, so you know I don't go to Snape anymore. But, yeah. Ah, come on. I mean, I Alan Rickman's still... Alan uh, Rickman can do no wrong. He's great. Yeah. Uh, except in uh, Love Actually, in which he uh, he does True. some some. Is anyone also good in that movie? Pretty rotten. No, in, um, they're all terrible. No. Yeah, yeah, that's. But Print Robin Hood, he's he's pretty. Oh, rotten. he's great in that movie, except but for the part when he's. Uh, there's a oh, part yeah. in that movie Committing that's a little but salacious. He's cut out with a spoon. <laughs> that's say. fun. I'm so, like, is he worse him. in Robin Hood, Princess Thieves, where he's mm. actually somewhat charming as a villain, yet incredibly problematic, or uh-huh. is he? Uh, better in love, love actually. actually where he's cheating like, on emma thompson and duplicate uh, jewelry yeah yeah no. he's no, the be- right. hans gruber great character yeah. that's true just yeah real good guy i mean look you can't alan rickman is just flawless you know what do you think was a worser outcome for alan rickman's characters do you think it was a um being thrown out of nakatomi plaza mm. b uh being cucked and then also killed by robin hood <laughs> c Having to live miserably with a, a, a wife that knows that you try to cheat on her. <laughs> like, hmm. The being a yeah. Shakespearean trained actor in Galaxy Quest and having to yeah. play a character role. Yeah, that movie's hey. fun. That movie's great. <laughs> uh, I, I love that movie. Um, a lot of Tim Allen talk today. We had Home Improvement talk oh, earlier, oh, and then you know <laughs> Galaxy Quest. It's like, what is the the trick of Tim Allen? He's always just like, oh, come on, guys. He's basically Jack Burton and everything he does, like. From We're gonna have to have the editor put in a. Well, that editor is gonna be me because we are recording this on Thursday, January twenty fifth, and it is getting out in two hours. So that oh is not going to be there. So enjoy it, listeners, while you have it. Um, so one thing I did want to note is that I think it is kind of funny that King was really big on having this be released on the whole as a whole. Like he really mm. wanted it to be binged, mm. which is I guess. Well, at the time, they were really doing that, too, because on Netflix, so I believe, was it House of Cards, which yeah. has a lot of filmmakers in this, they, they did that on, as, a, as a drop. Mm-hmm. So it was like a pretty no, novel thing, but he got vetoed against that. So Hulu was like, no, we're doing this week to week. Um, mm-hmm. And it's funny that like, King clearly just loves to like, absorb 
the pop culture because I re- I recall like he gave Netflix shit in, tw- in like 2022 and that Netflix uh, where uh, Stranger Things four was split in two. Like he was just like, yeah, you know, it's kind of bullshit that we have to wait you know a month for for Stranger Things four, which is just great. I just love the idea that he like watched that Kate Bush scene. He was like, ah, I kind of want more of the show, Tabby. <laughs> like you know, um, I think the show works better weekly, but. You know, as we heard from Fleer, you binge this for like in what two settings or something? You know? Yeah, it, it's funny because it it comes right at a time period where like I remember watching like the Sopranos DVDs and like mm-hmm. the Curb Your Enthusiasm. It was television shows were starting to be released at like blockbuster type you know rental stores, but pe- it was like a trend right before streaming got big. Yeah. So I, I do remember like the first time I got Netflix and was like, oh, I could watch Larry Sanders show yeah, in that's full, true. and so I it, it was. I had only binged on DVD purposes, you know what I mean? And, and even that's mm-hmm. a little bit different, whereas now like streaming, it's so much easier. So I, I do think this show works as a bingeable show. I, I, but then when I see like shows like succession or even like true detective now, where there is a conversation that occurs because of the limited time yeah. between releases. And I wonder if I, I think even if I don't want it that way, that's probably the better way of releasing things is to let the conversation. Cause even like stranger things will drop and then, like a few weeks later, it's like, oh, it's gone. It, it, yeah. Whereas, like, it's such a huge it, in the Zeitgeist yeah. show, but it doesn't stick there because people just go through it so quick. Yeah. yeah. That said, I think Succession and I think The Outsider and those show, the weekly shows, the HBO shows, are better shows. And I think, as much as mm-hmm. I do enjoy this, I feel like when you have time to stop and breathe, the warts start to show a little yeah. bit. And it's kind of like when we talked about. Lisey's story, I think that works really well as a binge because you're just in the world and mm-hmm. you're immersed and you don't get pulled out of it and you don't stop to think. And I I think, like, I enjoyed this better, I think, as a binge than I yeah. did episode weekly because I remember Corey and I getting kind of frustrated with it, with well, the changes and everything. Go there's also me. literally, like, a ticking clock on this. So it's, yeah. like, right. building and building and then you're like, oh, break it. Okay, mm-hmm. now we're back. Here we go. And then, oh, nope, take a pause. So it's kind of yeah. weird. And I hadn't thought about this just because, you know, when it came out, I think this was Hulu's first, like, original, like, one yeah. of the very first Hulu originals. It was. It was they were yeah. really trying yeah. to compete with Netflix. With mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. So I guess it didn't strike me as odd that it was released that way. But now being able to watch it all, like, in just a few sittings, I do think it it flows better and because you know where it's going like obviously the events you know where it's heading even if you're not mm-hmm. familiar with the book you just kind of you you just want to keep going because we're almost there we're almost there let's just yeah. keep let's see what happens and so i think that the nature of the narrative and the story also makes it work better as a bingeable kind of format yeah, yeah. It, it's funny we mentioned lost because that was the first show i really did truly binge as the blockbuster way as you mentioned dan because i was i i've for me, in my head, infamously missed it because I was so excited for that show, and I I had a, I forgot I had a class at the same time. And in college, you don't have VCRs and stuff, so it's like if you miss it, it's gone. And like mm-hmm. it's not like oh, I could go find it on NBC or ABC yeah. or whatever the next day. It was gone, and that show was so contingent on knowing all the details. So I was like, oh well, I guess I'm not going to watch the show that I was so hyped for. And and I do remember loving it and binging it finally when I had the time to do it and everyone was like oh you know you watch out for season three it's so boring season three is so boring and I was like I fucking love season three like this is great and then talking to Sammy who really caught up with it binging she said the show is so enjoyable she didn't see any of the wrinkles of it 
And I do think it really was the week to week thing, just waiting because everyone had theories. Everyone mm-hmm. had all mm-hmm. these question marks that were there where you don't you don't think about that when you're binging yeah. it. You're just like, all right, we're going we're going to devour it as much as possible. Yeah, I, I think Jen's point about seeing the warts, I think that's a yeah. very astute observation of like, yeah, staying in this universe, it, you can kind of give it a little forgiveness if you're there. But yeah. This is the kind of show that if I watched like three episodes in a sitting and then the next day I'd be like, I don't know if I need to immediately jump back into that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting, like, because I think I agree with you about succession. That's part of the reason I loved it is because like every week was an event. So and it's just I don't know if there is a one right format it just like different formats suit different shows better you know like selfishly i want it all right away but it's almost like you know it's a little kid eating all the cookies at once and getting a tummy ache i'd rather Mm -hmm. teacher give me a cookie for being good you know like i remember (laughs) finishing house of cards and like when she like raps on the desk and like losing my mind and realizing i had like at least a year before i could watch another episode you know I remember finishing like, yeah, Game of Thrones. Similar. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, that oh. that was like we got fortunate towards the end of being able to. Well, actually, no, we didn't. That was we just got basically cursed by yeah. the week to week because it was just like, I cannot believe it was just like watching someone get slowly buried alive. Like, uh-huh. Oh, my but God. Man, what are they I doing would like IP? Can't, Corey and I were earlier, glued though. to the TV <laughs> yeah. at eight o'clock on Sunday. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I, like, I, oh. What's funny is I've read the last Game of Thrones book before the final season or before the first season finished first season yeah i've been waiting so yeah still waiting do you think he's ever going to release it or do you think he's gonna have a heart attack uh, i think one book will come out and then yeah. I think it's like he, maybe they'll forget i'll just yeah. keep waiting yeah, i think that's what he's doing <laughs> right. it, it's the john it's like the chinese democracy of fucking uh of literary <laughs> of genre fiction or whatever um all right so real quick they you know for filming for this if you thought that they actually filmed in maine and that they actually shot all throughout the South and Kentucky, you'd be dead wrong <laughs> because it was actually filmed in Ontario. So yeah. most of it was filmed in Ontario and they did have to go to Dallas to shoot those uh, super sweet exterior locations at the Delia Plaza. I, according to Wikipedia, I guess during the filming, uh, rush hour caused like bumper to bumper traffic uh, in surrounding streets. So I'm sure everyone was like, like uh you know oh they're doing that fucking uh, reenactment again or something mm-hmm. like that yeah. like i'm sure they didn't even know it was filming and stuff but uh anyway let's talk about the music which look there's no one better in the world in the world uh sorry chris Gow. uh <laughs> rachel tell us a little bit about oh, wow. who did the music here Sure. Yeah. So um, let's start with the score. And I have this quote from Bridget Carpenter. She says, the score throughout the series was composed by Alex Hefs. And I don't mind telling you that more than once it made me cry. It will you too, constant viewer. Just wait. Uh, Yeah. So Alex Hefs, composer, British film composer, mainly a piano player. Got his start as an assistant to Simon Boswell, which mm. horror heads will know from Demons 2 oh. and The Lord of Illusions that we mentioned earlier. Interesting. Perdita Durango and Hackers. Oh, love um, Hackers. Yeah. Interesting, dude. And then um, Hefs also worked with Kevin McDonald. So there's the connect there. He scored there t- Touching the Void, worked on, worked on Last King of Scotland. And has worked on a lot of Catherine Hardwick films, but that's how he got brought into this. And a recording for 11-22-63 took place at the Newman Scoring Stage at 20th Century Fox 
and he helped conduct the 39-piece ensemble of the Hollywood Studio Symphony. So something is not in Canada. That was Hollywood. Mm. Um, I think he does a pretty good job with this matching the tone of the series my issues with this are not his music it kind of just it fits the series let's just say that it fits the vibe and the tone of what we actually end up getting he really leans into you know the suspense and the mystery and the building of the intrigue and get some hints of noir and you actually had a note that i picked up on too it does feel very shawshank it does (laughs) at times yeah like and, I've I've been listening to it as we do notes for like even when we were doing the books notes like I was listening to the score for it and I'd be like, man, am I li- did it? You know when Spotify finishes an album and uh-huh. it goes to like another one? I thought it was actually just going to the Shawshank album. I was like, oh, I'm only on track like yeah. 18 of the thing. Yeah, like it, it so. feels very cinematic mm-hmm. and expected for mm-hmm. this story, which I'm not entirely sure works 100 percent for me personally, but. Yeah. I'm not going to get too mad about it. You know, that said, I think that the romantic scenes and the pieces that accompany Sadie and the love story, I think, are super, super beautiful and affecting, very sentimental and melancholic and, you know, a little tragedy mm-hmm. thrown in there for good measures. And those themes, if you kind of go back, they evolve and they kind of become more prominent as the story develops, which, you know, this guy knows what he's doing and it's structured really well, I think, for the series, because by the time you get to the end, it's like all of these musical little nuggets and things kind of come together. So I think, he, yeah, I think he did a good job. Oh, I will I will say to you, the main title, not composed by him, that was composed by J.J. Abrams. Which is so strange. Like he's like, um hold on, let me cook. And just, you know, I'm going to go up there and do this theme. And he's like, okay, great. Yeah. Yeah. And it's fine. It's yeah. It's, I don't know. He's done that before too. Like he's done some music here and there. So it's just, I don't know. The guy can't sit still. (laughs) Do you do the lost intro? Just like, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, maybe. Yeah. Who knows? They're like like toiling away for weeks in the studio. Like, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And he's like, Mm -hmm. guys, I got it. And he just goes up to the mic and he's like, Pum. he's like, <laughs> like not the Facebook, Facebook. Facebook. <laughs> uh, lost. Uh. Yeah, I I think the, the, the theme works because it reminds me so much of like, like HBO, like an HBO series that dropped in like 2003. Yes. Yeah. yeah it's got like the twinkly, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Even like the chugging, like, dun, 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 dun. Like it just, it feels very, well, it also kind of feels very House of Cards-ish, mm-hmm. uh, which at the time had that very sim- similar sort of like, like it was very uh, minimalistic as well. So yeah, mm-hmm. I don't mind. Uh, it. No, I think it, I think it's fine. I, it is it is especially when you listen to it separately. I will say it almost works better for me because it is some really beautiful music. Um, mm-hmm. It just sometimes feels a little cheesy with the. The series, but and I wonder how much of that is the series itself because exactly is not it does not feel like a cheesy movie to me at all. It's got schmaltz, but like, yeah, you know, it's like a little (laughs) you need a little salt in the the cookie, you know. Mm -hmm. I I, I wanted to ask about this because this is kind of tied to this. I don't think this is a show that needed to have cold opens, like no, because the Sopranos never did. It was just like boom, we're going right in, and I kind of love that about the show because. You didn't have to always get precious with scenes. And there are like episodes where like the fucking cold open is like 10 minutes. And at that point, you're like, all right, no, you've gone 
past you don't need to do this now no like, it, yeah it is unless the point you're a barbarian like mm-hmm. just make it like, the show yeah that's an abrams thing right like don't yeah. all of his it's like i you know and that's that's an issue right you get like oh this is my thing now i have to yeah. put this in everything which i think like <laughs> on Lost, like there were commercials there you know uh-huh. so it did work but this like there were hulu commercials when i watched it but like yeah, it's just too. it's not the same thing you know mm-hmm. like we're not you in have... a commercial age anymore you know? wait so you all you all have hulu with commercials I yeah do. well i don't want to pay is... extra i know that is so interesting I'm yeah i've never <laughs> i'm like i'm such a this is i, I get it from my dad we're like i'll like cut back on the the things that really are fun and mm-hmm. then i'll be like you know what we're just gonna we're gonna let this ride i'm gonna pay the ten dollars a month for the because i just live a little I, I think the only thing is like tubi maybe but i never really hear it i never see him as much oh, i think yeah. tubi just starts with the commercials and then it's over. i don't know maybe i can't or remember. it's like the most tense scene like in martyrs when yeah. she's about to get uh spoiler and then yeah. all of a sudden there's like a truck commercial mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah Corey, like our budget is color-coded and it has many pages and arrows and stuff so yeah he was like well, he's we're an getting accountant the so that makes loop. sense <laughs> exactly yeah, yeah. um <laughs> Anyway, go for. Sorry, I didn't mean to divert into <laughs> our spending habits for streaming. <laughs> hey, <laughs> you know it's relatable content. Um, really no one's in place. <laughs> soundtrack, of course. It's mm. you know the, the insert songs are a big thing in the book, and then we also get that not as much as I would have thought. I think mm-hmm. in the series, but it does start out. I mean, come on, it starts out with spoon. <laughs> I know, which is, I remember that happening, or at least in the rewatch, being like, "Whoa, that's that's kind of kip." But then, yeah. And uh, Charlie XCX, which I love. So I was, I didn't remember that. So I was like, oh, yay. Um, But then, of course, lots of classics, Bo Diddley, Elvis, um, Dwayne Eddy, The Crystals. So lots of things that are very appropriate and fitting to help kind of set the mood. Big change, though, which I'm sure Mm -hmm. some people noticed. And I don't fully understand why about this. But Glenn Miller, one of the biggest kind of songs in the book in the book of course is in the mood but in the series mm-hmm. it's little brown joke um bridget carpenter says that she loves swing dancing with every bone in her body and she can shim sham with the best of them and that scene was like her favorite scene in the whole you know series and i i don't know why she changed it mm-hmm. um I, on reddit i found somebody that said Bridget has said that she chose Little Brown Jug because she's a huge Lindy fan and loves the song and just didn't like the other one. So she changed it, you know, no disregard to or no regard to what's in the book, which I don't know if I believe that. But well, that's right at two. And they're they're all happy people that know how to do criticism and, you know, changes to heart. Yeah. Not sure if it was a licensing thing. I it's so old, though. It's like I'm not sure how that works, if it was public domain or not. But. Kind of a weird thing to change as far as the music goes, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. What is it? The the song is when Sam Cooke plays. Yeah, that scene is just fucking incredible. I mean, granted, you could put like yeah. Sam Cooke and on a footage of like grass, <laughs> it would I just know. still be amazing. But that scene just hit really yeah, hard. No, I, nothing can change this love is the yeah. song. Oh, uh, yes, it's, it's very great. dirty dancing. Like there's a lot of dirty dancing kind of notes, even like the Hey Baby song when they, when he comes back, you know, it's, which I love. And I mean, that's mm-hmm. kind of the same time frame too. So. Yeah. And I, I do like, I'm a sucker for like, sometimes when the song is like directly related to the scene uh-huh. a little bit and like some of the end credit songs are like that a little bit. Um, so I think that that's, super fun um yeah it kind of i feel like it dwindles off 
as the mm-hmm. the series goes on. So I'm not sure if there's a reason for that. Kind of hoped it would keep up a little more because that's a fun part of having a period piece, right? Is yeah. you get to explore these songs. And so there's some great songs in there, but I'm sure that all adds up. They all cost yeah. money. So they do. We... Yeah. I was, we were talking about it on God, the other day or something like that, but just how like, because like, I love the movie Air last year. Oh, yeah. But one of my biggest faults with Air is that despite them pulling a track from Firestarter soundtrack by Tangerine Dream, which I literally almost had a conniption fit in the theater because I was like, I can't believe this is happening. And Sammy's like, no one knows what <laughs> this song is. Does everybody see this? <laughs> but like, but it, it was just like, I couldn't believe it. And then they, you know, they do obvious things like, um, you know, oh, we're, hey, uh, hey, guess what? Uh, I'm in the Carolinas. And it would be like playing like in a big country by a big country. And I'm like, okay. Mm-hmm. To, Let's to be, be real. And they, they, they have like 80 needle drops, but I was th- thinking, I was like, it's probably because Amazon has Amazon music. So they probably get like carte blanche to do whatever license thing they want oh, in their yeah. movies and stuff. But like with this, it, it, it was really curious because I did notice is that there's a sizable drop in needle drops towards the end. And it's like, mm-hmm. that doesn't, like Halt and Catch Fire has some patches in, in there sometimes when it just kind of goes in the score, but that's also because they have Paul Hassinger mm-hmm. and that, that score is incredible. But like, you're right. Like this is a period piece. Like there should be like a ton of needle drops and that even Mad Men it's like it yeah. they they it feel like that show had at least every episode had at least some sort of needle drop that was in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I think it sadly needle drops are becoming memeable. So mm-hmm. like in the new yeah. True Detective season, there oh, are yeah. too many needle drops. Oh totally. It's, it's, it's Kate so Bush. It's, it's a stranger thing. It's Kate Bush. Yeah, well, and Fear everyone, Street did it too. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone wants to have that. Oh, that moment that song now it's yeah. associated with this you know like you kind of like piggyback on the momentum so it is interesting though that this show i don't want to say restraint but you're right this is actually it would be very appropriate for the set and setting of the past and they don't you know what i mean like they don't act on it as much like i feel like i, I have more 60 songs in goodfellas than i do in this eight hours yeah. run yeah. of the show yeah mm-hmm. yeah um Something else I did want to point out is just talk about the sound in general, because mm. I do like because like we said, it's a period piece and there's a lot of very period correct sounds in here. And so mm. um, the supervising sound editor is Mike Wilhoyt and he won a BAFTA for Oliver Stone's JFK. Oh, <laughs> oh. So he also, wow. He also worked on that and um, the whole sound team was a big fan of this book before and so it's there's some interviews with them and it's very cute because they were just like nerding out over like we had to get like all these tube amp sounds and all these speakers and all you know the records and the tape machines and I love so, that though yeah. I know it's mm-hmm. very cool and so that's something I think that gets overlooked a lot of times like those aren't digital sounds the sound team was very dedicated to making things sound correctly and yeah the guy worked on JFK so he knew this story and this town and this period very well coming into mm-hmm. it and so isn't it, practice not isn't it so like... strange that the actual assassination itself has spun off a number of careers mm-hmm. yeah space do you know what i mean like right this guy is getting work on jfk projects yeah years. i'm specialized in this very specific right. thing but only the cinematic adaptations of it <laughs> yeah 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 i mean if you think about it as podcasters of horror movies uh our lives are they're built on the the, the deaths Oh. Many fictional characters. Uh, That's if true. you want to get morbid about it, I, I love like the idea. House on blood. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm wondering if uh, what, what did you say his name? What the sound is like Mike. Uh, Mike Wilhoyt. I wonder if Mike Wilhoyt was just like kind of sitting there earlier this week, and and Oliver like texted him. He's like, 
Uh, did you see the news? Uh, it looks like uh, Gerwig got snubbed from Barbie, and uh, it looks like I was right. And then, like, Mike is just like, I haven't talked to you in 30 years. <laughs> it's just like, uh, anyway, it's inside baseball. If you like the, if you follow the industry, you'll know that he's in a controversy because he didn't like Barbie, because that's the world we live in. Um, nope. Anyway, any more um, on sound or music? We good to go? No, yeah, let's go. Incredible work. Incredible work as always. We're going to now pivot over to, uh, so we've got, the the musical side done. Let's let's go to my favorite part of the entire world, which is the media and the criticism, um, <laughs> which I've given to Jen because when the show premiered on February sixteenth, twenty sixteen, which was President's Day, get it? Mm. President's Day because <laughs> the president. president died. They shot him. Oh, um, so <laughs> when it dead. came out. <laughs> When Wait, he came out, why? he died. His brains went everywhere. Um, sorry, Jesus Christ. Um, it's okay. He's he's he had a, a nefarious life too. Um, True. Jen, you pulled some reviews. I asked you to pull some reviews from the archives, <laughs> and you had to read all my the wonderful press uh, <laughs> yes. and what they had to say about eleven twenty two sixty three. So was it a hit critically, or was it a dud? It was kind of a mixed bag, you know. Um, I found in the New York Times review, um, as noted that this was like a big attempt to keep up with Netflix and King is bankable. Like even now, like just his name is going to get you clicks um, and viewers. And so Neil Genslinger said, as with Under the Dome, the CBS adaptation of another of Mr. King's books, the first episode is a grabber. The early stages of any good science fiction story are always the most enticing, full of anticipation as characters are confronted by something beyond their wildest imagining. And then later... Making an attention-getting opening installment is the easy part. Once the gimmick is established, though, 112263 slows down as it becomes less a science fiction story and more a period drama. This particular period has been mined repeatedly since Happy Days, so by now we're thoroughly familiar with its signature elements, the cars, the hats, the gathering social revolution, the ominous feel of the early nuclear age that always hangs in the air. And I kind of agree with that, you know, spoiler for my thoughts later. I feel like it does start off really strong and then start to feel like things that we've seen before. Um, But also that the heart of the story is in the past, too. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then with Vox, um, the title of this review, James Franco tries to save JFK in Hulu's slick, if confusing, miniseries. So Caroline Framke writes... Hulu's new drama is the TV equivalent of picking up a book at the airport. It moves at a steady clip, is stuffed with cheese, and remains compelling enough to fill an afternoon. But it's also easy enough to leave behind once you have to get back to the real world, which I agree with. Yeah, (laughs) A lot of this, uh, you know, for better or worse, like I did enjoy it. A lot of this... um, this review focused on Mr. Franco, which I have a lot of thoughts about, but um, she writes, he's good looking, but doesn't flaunt it since he's too busy frowning in a contemplative way. That is he's such con- a good description. I know. <laughs> That's all I think about, too, is just the frowning. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, he's so dour. Um, he's concerned about the greater good and likes the idea that he, of all people, might be the person to save the day. He probably read a Salinger story that blew his mind once, and he's been trying to recapture that moment ever since. He's on good terms with his exes, but they're his exes for reasons. And then she writes, part of this is on Franco's performance, which is either fully committed or barely present, depending on the scene, which I completely agree. Uh 
Um, but much of the confusion around Jake's character is due to the show's thematic confusion. There are some hints that 112263 is actually the story of how dangerous arrogance is, which is something we talked a lot about in our book episode. I definitely think that's in the book. Sorry, that was me. But it's never quite clear what the series thinks of Jake and his mission until maybe the last 15 minutes of the show. And even then, it's murky. And then she has some thoughts on Bill, which this I also great. have some thoughts on Bill. Yeah. Yeah. But the way the series loops in, Bill makes Jake seem so careless and so casual with the lives he's affecting during his mission that he ends up looking much worse for it. Jake has his priorities, namely saving JFK and being with Sadie. Everything else is collateral damage. Then she also had, she had a lot of thoughts about Josh Dumel, which I think is she thought that's one of the strongest episodes, and I mm-hmm. agree, but I've yeah. got more thoughts later. But what she ultimately kind of decided, the moments when 112263 leans into the Stephen King of it all are so much more interesting than Jake's boilerplate heroic journey. So it's disappointing that these more horrific moments only pop up sporadically after the kill floor. There will be a disorienting hospital visit here, a waking nightmare there, and it all rests on the knife's edge of creepy that defines King's best work. Which I agree. It just feels there's just a cheese to it. I think that kind it's of like it's too it's, polished, almost. Yes, too, like, exactly. Yeah. I want that grit. Um, and okay, so this is from Variety, and this is the last one I f- found that I'll read um, about James Franco. Perhaps foremost, Franco isn't particularly well suited to the central role, coming across as less in every man than a chronically pained one, stumbling from one situation to the next. When Jake says to Al, I just don't think I'm the right guy for this, by episode three or four, it's hard to argue. Oof. And I agree. Uh, well, hold all these thoughts on Franco. Uh, yeah. We'll hold all these thoughts. This has been a long debate also on our Discord. Wait, what Discord? <laughs> Where do we access Good the Discord, question. Mike? <laughs> Good question. It's at uh if you become a member of the Barons, www.patreon.com slash the Barons, you can join our 24-7, 365 Discord, where they have spent the last, I'd say, month just talking about Franco and whether or not this series works. And you know, if you missed out, hey, just restart the conversation. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> um we have our own conversation to finish here. Instead of my stupid fucking spiels and and uh, cells, uh, you know, I got to sell, sell. Um, so let's ask. I, I kind of wanted to talk about the show at large before we get into the nitty gritty and like the heroes and villains. Spoiler alert: that's the next section. Uh, do you think I mean, we've talked a little bit about the medium and whether or not Demi's theatrical film, you know, what that would look like? But ultimately, with the miniseries, what we got, do you think this was the best medium for the story? Yes, I do. I don't think like, you know, we talked about like if we tried to cut it down, I feel like this is a really good length of time for this story. It doesn't I mean, some parts feel rushed, but I feel like if we had too much more, it would have felt drawn out, you know? Yeah, I I think this is the best. I still think this is the best medium, even if they were to redo it again. I think Mm -hmm. a mini series of this. Yeah. Even this size, like this amount of episodes, I think is probably good. It's a good medium. I don't know. I, you know, I would like to see it more like a Lisey story. I'd like to see Pablo yeah. Lorraine, which is interesting because he did Jackie. Ooh, mm, yeah, that'd that's be weird. So like, that is I, such a strange sort of corollary connection. You know, yeah, another and I love career built on JFK. And yeah. I, yeah, and I like I love that like mm-hmm. view into that world, and I would love mm-hmm. to see 
you know, again, like his spin on that, just a little bit kind of a different, more contemplative, more internal, which is, you know, what this is, I think, in a lot of ways. So I think that I think there's room for it to be a great miniseries again. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, 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 it's too much for first, a film. The first miniseries I really recall watching was The Stand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think I had watched PBS, you know, whatever. They don't really count as many. But I watched like Gulliver's Travels on PBS. But yeah. The Stand was the first time I that I was so. like, man. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Good call. Um, yeah. But it. Uh, there's so much story to be told and we have a book that's over 800 pages. It's, yeah. unre- it's just not realistic to think you're going to capture this in a two to three hour film. You know what I mean? Like you're going to have to cut so much meat off the bone that it just, it wouldn't work in any other way. So I'm a big fan of the mini series approach. And I think if you look at like under the dome where they made it a series in full, that didn't seem to work. Right. Mm-hmm. It would have been better to tap in for those eight hours and then bounce out. Mm-hmm. Like I'm a book right now. That's like it, tomorrow, tomorrow, and tomorrow, if, if anyone's ever read that. But it's like 400 pages. And I'm like, oh, this is so quick and tiny compared to the books I've been reading lately. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. oh, this, this could be a two-hour movie because it's only 400 pages. I don't think you could take an 800-page book. And, I mean, they had to literally create new characters for the show just to condense some of the storylines. That's how much material is there. Jesus. Mm-hmm. Or like yeah. it, like two parts, you know, like you'd have to split yeah. it up. And I don't know if this would work to split it up. Just like the balance no, of the actual story itself. It's like that wouldn't make sense either. I So you mentioned eight episodes and that being enough. And I I agree. I think there is, I think eight is a great medium, you know, medium is a great allotment. Great. Um, I certainly wish the latest season of Fargo was uh, at least two or three episodes shorter. But <laughs> the, the, the issue, I, I do think that they in the way that this was told and that the way they plotted this out, I kind of would argue that it, it could have benefit from like two more episodes. Because the way they're doing just, it, yeah. The way they're doing it. That's what I meant. Yeah. yeah like I, ideally this could be a six episode show um, or, you know, even, yeah, I think eight, eight is a good number, but I do think that there's a little dilly dallying. The, the writers call it spinning wheels um, with the middle section of this series. Whereas well, like, they cut the heart of the middle section out. So they yeah. had to just kind of spin their wheels, you know? Yeah. And they, they also, it's weird because the, the pacing of the book is a little strange because mm-hmm. the actual daily Plaza Kennedy stuff does feel very rushed. It does. But yeah. it's, yes. it's the panic of like run, 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 run. So the fact that the show kind of reflects that a little bit, you're like, yeah, there's not a whole lot more source material there. Like they kind of show up and just have to run in the, you know, I think they cut the, bus crashing in the show i can't remember uh, no they have that yeah. there's a car crash but yeah. it's but there's so for what you know we're that building whole, toward, yeah, that, we only that dip into it for a little section. bit yeah. yeah and it's so i i think you're right mike like maybe adding two episodes but I, filling out that middle section i just i would have liked to see more sadie development yes that's what I felt. Yeah, Jen. Or the play. I want to see yeah. the play. Yeah. That was that's my the, favorite part. And the just part. Jody like the town yeah. even yeah. like the when he first goes back, like the whole nostalgia mm-hmm. thing, like part of what I love about the early part of the book is how he's really taking in this world and the root beer and like it makes yeah. you actually feel nostalgic and it makes it, you know, the book I think sells the allure and the seductive qualities of that nostalgia so well and I think this sells it short because he like pops out and it's like oh there's all these people and there's the mill and the cars (laughs) and the milk guy it's like oh hey look the 50s and it just Mm -hmm. feels like two in your face Mm -hmm. whereas in the book you kind of see him like bask in it a little bit and 
Yeah, and you've weird. got Friday Night Lights yes. there. Like, she's right there. She could do this very well, you know? Yeah. I imagine it was frustrating for her because with Friday Night Lights, I mean, that first season's 24 episodes. Obviously, the writer strikes affected the second one. But <laughs> yeah. even when there was like the 13 episodes, you had to <laughs> Landry some, killed a guy. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, look, I defend the second season a little bit, but Sorry. it's the, the worst part of that series is that it just ends with him fighting one of his old, like, former rivals in a bar or in a restaurant and then it just oh ends and you're like what the fuck happened there yeah. but sorry sorry spoiler there was there was enough real estate and even the, the the 13 episode seasons especially when it went to direct tv or you know got distributed redistributed direct tv or whatever it did that you're able to live with the characters um outside of the main story and i think that's what's missing here and i think that's mm-hmm. in 2016 I think we're already, I mean, look, by then, fucking Breaking Bad's over, Mad Men's pretty much done. Like, we've seen what celebrated television can do with, you know, 10, 12 episodes. So to not have what I think is really the, the heart of the book, um, which is the relationship, it, it, it's, it's kind of weird. It's, it, it's, just, mm-hmm. it's like, it, having read the book, I got it because I'm able to fill it all out. Yeah. But I imagine those that looked at it at a surface level, having not read the book are probably like, man, why is he so heartbroken about this woman? <laughs> it just right. feels very, you know. It actually feels a little creepy because it's like, mm-hmm. he's like, oh, I love you. It's like, what? They don't even like, like exactly. what is this Because yeah. like? it's like they show it, but they don't, we don't have enough time to believe it, you yeah. know? It, it, it's yeah. weird that they cut such, kind of like to Jen's point, the cutting of the play and even the football mm-hmm. team, you're like, Bridget Carpenter specializes in yes. Texas football and high school relationships. Exactly. That's a good Isn't point. that why you kind of brought <laughs> yeah. her onto the project? Right. And now we're just going to totally excise those. You know, that that it would have made Franco's character more endearing as well. To And there's plenty of opportunity for like, oh, Sadie's going to co-produce the play with him or, you know, mm-hmm. build those characters up. So it does seem strange that they kind of, you know, when JJ was taking the exacto knife and cutting the fat, like, why did they cut those parts out that are arguably the most affecting parts of the story. I think yeah. you get one an episode where it's it is that sort of year and maybe it's a fall, right? And it's the dance and you get to mm-hmm. see a little bit more. You see the lifestyle there, them going into the bungalows, all that other stuff. And then you get another episode. And in that episode too, which would also, you know, dovetail into the other one that we could add, you just get more with, you know, we'll talk about the characters in a bit, but um, Bill, I think you needed a little bit more of why Bill was going off the rails, why he was yeah. kind of going. It just all of a sudden it just seems like he comes back home and he's like, oh, I've been here so long. And it's like, yeah, but you guys just moved in. Or, oh, I forgot. A year and a half has gone by. Like, it just, you know, we complained a little bit about that on the book somewhat of just like, oh, does it feel like two yeah. years? But it really feels like they're racing through the years in this one. Can I, can I just pitch yeah, an idea it. of how I would do, like, yeah, yeah. maybe episode four is the play and the football game game are going on at the mm-hmm. same time and the actor is having to run back and forth we just start kind of like in scene of oh the plays you know someone's backstage crying jake's yeah. trying to make it work and it's almost like a standalone episode of something yeah that carpenters specializes in that would be great to see and you could you know similar with bill yeah like let's understand why he's kind of getting unhinged versus it just kind of is like oh now he's unhinged you got it right and that's what the book does such a good job of building these very small characters, you know, Miss Mimi, these little things that you're like, you could take that out of the book, but something would be missing, right? It's mm-hmm. not essential, but it is right. essential because it's it 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 gives like heart and life to this story. And mm-hmm. the miniseries, although I still do really like it, 
there is that magic secret sauce is missing in some way, right? Mm -hmm. It's a yeah. lens flare too much. <laughs> yeah. It's like if you I, took Biff out of uh, Back to the Future, you know? Right. Yeah. Well, then the world is better because then you don't get, you know... Um, that's true. Nobody's Trump's calling you chicken. Valley, yeah, you big know? Biff yeah, head over here, Jen. He's the bad <laughs> guy. You're not supposed to root I for know, him. I know, but I want him to... I, I'm sorry. I want him to lose. You put one wax coat on the car and he's supposed to do two. <laughs> that's true. Gramps! What a jerk. <laughs> what the hell am I paying you for? Worst um, thing he did. <laughs> yeah, I just... You know, can I tell you that I love Back to the Future? Uh, but... Yeah, so I, I, this is another question I want to ask. So we talked about Under the Dome last year and how that has three seasons somehow. <laughs> Even though that story takes place in, I believe, 72 hours, if not less. Like um, a week. Basically. It takes a week. It's a week, yeah. Apparently the show gives it, you know, years or whatever. Feels like is it. There, I would argue that given the talent and given the, the power of the story here, I think you could have done the three season show of this and it would have been effective. I think you could have. I think you would have had to really lean into the Texas Jody stuff, which yeah. Yeah. I yeah. feel like for like hardcore constant readers, we know that that is king yeah. and we're into it. But I feel like I, I think they were probably just afraid to take too much horror out, you know. But yeah, I would love that. Like we get the of Mice and Men season, mm -hmm. you know, and just get to watch all of that like. Yeah, that would have been really cool. I would have loved it. Well, this is this is what goes back into the point that I I hammered down so much that it it literally looked like Doctor Sartain's head in Halloween <laughs> 2018 because I just kept hitting it over and over again. Is that everyone gets that reference? Yes. Yeah. Well, oh, yeah. you know, if you listen <laughs> to Halloweenies, you'll get it. Uh, but the thing is, the, this is where I think the the miniseries Renaissance or the Renaissance for King, which I think we could probably agree on that this was certain the beginning of the King Renaissance of things coming back where we're like, okay, wow, King's kind of in the fold again with uh, some, some tentpole stories. And obviously it comes out the next year and just catapults the, the horror genre in a way that makes it even more ubiquitous. But after a lot of time thinking about this and seeing the stand 2020 and also revisiting this, I think the greatest failure that happened to the, the King Renaissance is that none of the shows that were adapted for this, with the exception of maybe Lisey's story, really evolved the miniseries format. Because when you look at it, the, this and The Stan still have the same issues that the miniseries, the 90s and the aughts had, which is that you're still dealing with too little of a sandbox, too little time, and it's television. There, mm -hmm. there are scenes in this that look close to, to, to film. And obviously, Lisey's story looks like a fucking Pablo Lorraine movie. It's great. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, but ultimately, I feel like we, we're still waiting. And maybe Welcome to Dario will be this. But we're still waiting for that perfect series that can do so much more with the IP in ways that these golden, the golden age of television has done. Like, I mean, Jen, the first time we met, we talked about Breaking Bad. Mm -hmm. and. I think I always go back to Breaking Bad and all throughout the fucking Stan miniseries episodes, I talk about Breaking Bad. And the reason why I think is because, I mean, even with their spinoff, you can see there's an elasticity to a great idea and Stephen King's full of great ideas. And mm -hmm. this book is just one tome of great ideas. So is the Stan. So if you have something like, I don't know, The Walking Dead that is churning out its 20th fucking season and you have Breaking Bad that did five seasons, or yeah, five, five seasons and then six seasons of Better Call Saul all based on the premise that there's going to be a teacher that cooks meth 
I, I don't see why we haven't been able to take a fucking killer Stephen King novel like 112263, like The Stand, and come up with a fucking killer series that would be on par with some of these prestige shows that we've done. Like, why has this been so hard to pull off? Like, it's IP. It should be easy to do, uh, commit to a three season show and make it a hit. And we just haven't done it. And I think that's been the biggest failure of this renaissance is that that's the medium that's big right now. He conquered, he's already conquered films all throughout the years. I would argue still that his auteur era of the Cronenberg, the, the, the Kubrick, the De Palma, um, all of, of the Carpenter, even if he thinks the movie's boring, uh, all of that really achieved a level of heights that, that, that kind of carved out a slice of American culture in film. And the miniseries in the 90s was great. It was really cool. It was, was avant-garde in its way. But there's been nothing in this era, specifically this, not even Castle Rock, that has, I mean, Castle Rock came close, but it fumbled because it tried to be something else. And we've talked about that in this podcast. But I think that's the, the big revelation I had revisiting this is that there really hasn't been someone to kind of take on what TV is now and apply mm-hmm. it to King. And I think that's, yeah. this, I think this was an opportunity to do that. And it, kind of do, do you think JJ talking about giving the veto power and deference though, do you think that maybe inhibits the ability to expand the story beyond the scope of the actual like root material? You know what I mean? Like, is it, are we a little too precious with the story that King has given that a new creative is almost nervous to push it too far? And does the lesson of under the dome maybe teach that like you, you can't, you can't, you know, can't get blood from a stone after a while. Right. It's like, I agree. You only yeah. have what you have. I, I don't know. It, it, that's a very good, I hadn't really thought of it like that way, Mike, the way you just put it, though. You're right, because King hasn't really, for conquering literature and film, TV is still a thing that kind of alludes. Well, at least in this era. Yeah. Because, yeah. In the ni- I mean, those 90s miniseries were were ap- In terms of like a series of like ongoing, like you said, multi-season yeah. thing. I mean, it, it, go, Rachel. I, and obviously, this is not going to work with all the, the material, but it works incredibly well i think for the material is the mr mercedes yeah tv show that's because true. each season is a different book but it's all under one umbrella and it all fits within the same world and you've got the same actor you know so i think yeah. that that was like a really interesting way to execute those particular books i mean it wasn't a giant hit but also i mean look well, at the material no, the first season, and I think I, i've only seen this first problem. season i thought it was good yeah so it was it was really good but nobody saw it that's the thing yeah. and you because i would say the same thing about lisey's story and i would yep. say the same thing about the outsider like yeah those mm-hmm. like what i think i'm missing with this miniseries is a vision like it just feels like it's kind of recreating the book and it's making changes where necessary not changes to make it its own thing. And I think that the outsider has a vision. There is a... I like the outsider. I do too. And I would say the same thing about Mr. Mercedes. There's a vision there. There's a cohesiveness. Definitely would say that about Lisey's story. But those titles, I don't think, are big enough to pull people in the way 112263 is. Or... Because Mr. Mercedes, maybe. Because that was kind of a bigger release when it came out. It was, yeah. Yeah. But it was on the audience channel, so nobody saw it. So it's like, I wonder if... If the outsider had come out when 112263 did. Now, forgetting the timeline of, you know, when the book was published, or if Lisey's story or something like, or if 112263 had been on HBO or like something where they 
we're really going to go for it and make it the something budget. really special. Exactly, having the budget. I think Hulu was scared. This was their first time, so right? They so wanted I think to play it, was it just, safe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, for and, its budget in the first go around, it, it's a hell of a you know. That's true. It's a hell yeah. of a hit, right? I would say. Yeah. Um, but but you could, it's also at the time where streaming shows could make or break a streamer. Mm-hmm. So yes. like Disney hit Mandalorian. We got Grogu. Mm-hmm. It took, you know, that think of the millions of subscriptions that will last in perpetuity just because they had a good yeah. show right out, you know, the way yeah. the House of Cards and was Stranger Orange is New Black yeah. kind of established. So Hulu taking, it, it seems like they could have taken a bigger swing here if this was going to really? establish. And I think the fact that it's already fallen under different management. I think Disney just bought out the remaining shares of Hulu, right? They did, but it's, yeah. It, it's always kind of existed as this like middle child where it's like. Who owns it? And it's actually yeah. owned by it was at least until recently owned by three different companies. And just on the topic though of TV shows, so I just did an episode with uh super fan Brian Burnett yeah. on Haven. Mm-hmm. And Haven was a show that ran 78 episodes, but again, it didn't it didn't have the prestige of an HBO. And I don't think most people even knew it was on because it was deep cable. Mm-hmm. But they, from my understanding of limited knowledge of the show, is that they did have the freedom to kind of explore and do monsters of the week. And apparently, you know, it has like a big cult following, but hmm. it, it's why isn't to Mike's point, like why isn't it been able to translate to like prestige streamer? And I think Hulu had a chance to become prestige and they just not just through this series, but they kind of fumbled the bag, right? They were the yeah. closest. I, I mean, that first season of Castle Rock, I remember halfway through being like, I cannot believe this is happening. Like this is, mm-hmm. they're going somewhere. And then it just, you know, it. it right, right. I don't. It, it, it just lost, didn't do it. And then the know? second season was just a disaster because it leaned into being like a sci-fi genre show. And I, I just, I look at this and I and I, I get it. I get on surface level. It does. It makes more sense to do a miniseries because the idea is everyone wants. It's what we talked about in the book episodes. Everyone wants to get to the fireworks factory. So if you're doing like, oh, hey, it's another season. We're still not. We're only in right. 1962. But if yeah. you did it, where like each season was like, all right, 1961, 1962, 1963. Could be kind of cool that way. I mean, yeah. just the hook of dairy. You actually yeah, go to dairy. Would have been a really good hook to have. That been I mean, cool. Especially how goddamn serendipitous that would be to have with the movie coming out. But hey, that didn't happen. Yep. What we got is what we got. And what we got has a ton of heroes and villains. I'm going to have to kill this fucking clown. Welcome to the Losers Club, asshole! <laughs> All right, I promised this would be two hours, and we are inching close to the two-hour mark, which means I am a liar, like uh, another president, let's Richard Nixon, um, or any president. In I was this like, country. like all of them, um, all of them for the most part. A liar. Yeah, you know, it's they're all the, the they're they're top men. Um, okay, heroes and villains. We've talked a lot, you know a little bit about them. Um, we got to talk about a lot uh, about uh, James Franco, who plays Jake Epping or James Amberson. Uh, so. James Franco is, uh, you know, certainly had some, uh, had, hasn't had a great decade. Uh, let's just put it that way. Um, but at the time, he's coming off of probably some of the biggest blockbuster comedies uh, of the last 25 years and had certainly become a household face. He had done uh, Spider-Man as the inimitable uh, Harry Osborn. Oh, that's right. <laughs> uh, where he has one of the worst costumes in Spider-Man 3 for uh, the whatever goblin they're trying to do there. And I'm a fan of the, the Raimi originals. That was three Spider-Mans three. ago, by the yeah. way, too. Oh, no, that was five Spider-Mans ago. Yeah. No, six cartoon. of them now. No, no, five, five. And no, with the cartoon, it would be seven. Anyway. I gotta catch <laughs> Yeah. It's been a long time. Miles. <laughs> as Aaliyah said, it's been a long time. Um, 
so he really campaigned for this role. And he even wrote an op-ed for Vice. <laughs> um, I don't know if we need to read all of it, especially I, since I, I, pulled, been... I pulled a few choice quotes. Okay, okay. pull some quotes, pull some quotes, um, yeah. And this is, keep in mind, this is a time period where I think James was writing for Playboy. Mm, um, yeah, because I remember I used to have subscriptions for the articles. But it, 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 he had like a guest appearance each month. He wrote about like Marina Ibrahimovic and stuff. So he was, he was uh, I don't know, he's, he's feeling himself out as a creative. But <laughs> he opens by saying, Stephen King's recent book, 112263, is about a high school teacher who travels through a time portal in the pantry of a greasy spoon diner to the late 50s in order to kill Lee Harvey Oswald and prevent JFK's assassination. King uses time travel in 1122. It's more than just a plot device. The way that the novel's teacher protagonist, a job that King had before he wrote his first book, Carrie, travels back to the 2000, from the 2000s to 1958 is a metaphor for King's ability to revisit the same genres and time periods without ever getting stale. Kind of a hot take. Yeah. Um, he, but essentially, he, he he's trying to get the rights to it, and JJ is, is getting them. And oh, this is so strange. This is a very weird part. <laughs> so, so he's strange. like, I've been accused of being ubiquitous, of occupying too much <laughs> cultural ground, of being a pop culture hog, like a guest at a wedding who sticks his dirty fingers in every cake and pie. Maybe that's all true. But Abrams has had a few TV series. He took on Star Trek and is now doing my personal favorite, Star Wars. He co-authored a meta-novel <laughs> called S, which involves a master narrative that serves as the basis for a meta-narrative told through handwritten margin notes between a grad student and an undergraduate. Uh, so basically, he's imploring JJ to give him a piece of the pie. <laughs> And I am. It, it is. I'm there's a lot of stuff here that it's I would, so petulant too. It's like the guy yeah. gets to do and and, and italicies everything. Like, yeah, and he's like, and maybe right. I also do everything. Guilty as charged. It's yeah. it's a very I am strange. Kind of a ubiquitous. Who describes yeah. themselves as ubiquitous? I'm sorry. All the, the time. The it. Jesus Twins words. and Howard Stern. Be my ubiquity. <laughs> God, what a pull. Cut. Um, Jesus Christ. Anyway. Like, <laughs> Sorry, I'm my Howard Stern kick lately. Hey, I love Howard um, Stern. So for the article, but, but anyway, but, but the, <laughs> yeah. the the point though, like yes, you could say that Stephen King's able to go back, but I don't think this novel serves necessarily as a metaphor. I don't know. It's I don't think that's how you use the word metaphor. Right. There's a lot like... that I would edit in this article, but it, it is. It's you're right though. Petulance is a very good word for him being like, well, how come I can't do it? It's my favorite. And the weird thing in the article is he harps on how much he loves the stories that are based in Maine. Yeah. And yet for the miniseries, you know, maybe if we could have added a couple episodes in, we could have really fully explored Maine. Yeah. But if it comes to getting part in a show, writing for Vice, a plea is probably the best way to go. Because uh, it worked for Mr. Attractive. Franco. Yeah. Ugh. And knowing J.J. Abrams. Also, like, hot take. I like the Stephen King Maine stuff. Like, well, yeah. it's yeah. I, I. It's a very strange piece because he he his love for King is all over it. You know, he references yeah. the body. Re you know, different seasons, he says he loves. He says Carrie and the Shining are brilliant manifestations of bullying and alcoholism. He right, he. Dude, there's a lot of love there, but he's like, it starts off with like him upset that he doesn't have the rights, but then it ends. And then it continues with him loving Stephen King. So he's like, oh, let me show you my love for it. Maybe this will get me to get the right somehow. And then at the end, he's just like, you know, King is one of our greatest storytellers. And by incorporating time travel, he's able to get back to one of his creative wells. And it's like, I'm sure J.J. Abrams is the torchbearer for the Trekkies. And now the Lucas will be the perfect shepherd for King at his best. And it's like, 
is that like passive aggressive? Like it, it's a very, it's one of yeah. the most bizarre. Like I, it, it is very bizarre. It's so yeah. strange. Hey, um, look, I've been called ubiquitous. I would love to play Annie Wilkes someday. I love the Stephen King Colorado stuff. So if Vice is listening, you know. Well, give look, me a chance. Here's Very your nutcracker. Please, please. Your pick me. Your, your, yeah, he's he's definitely act like a like a pick me. Uh, what is J- Sammy always? Pick, Sammy always says pick, pick me girl. Pick me girl. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, pick me boy. The nutcraft for this, I guess, for if we're gonna use the James Franco essays, is one just complain in the in the lead. <laughs> okay, your I'm sorry, sections, I'm writing this down. <laughs> your middle sections need to be in, uh, a thesis on why you love uh, X, Y, and Z subject, and then okay, the. Check. And then the conclusion needs to to counterbalance everything you literally just said. <laughs> like, <laughs> so I don't really, you know, by pat by by pulling your punches. Very strange. Either way, he it got worked. the role. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Got worked, man. So what's the um, lesson, kids? Yeah. Just be just a hot man in Hollywood. Yeah. 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 Um. So I've I've, talked about Franco here. I, I I'll just say for the matter, I'm Team Franco. I like him in this. I, I do. I think he's the thing I, I think we've talked so much about on these book episodes of 1122 is just how it's hard to put a face to, to Jake. And yeah. I think that's why what Flieger and I really, I mean, we talked about us like sitting on the subway and just trying to debate who can, you know, who could play him. I'm sure all the people in the subway were like, what the fuck are they talking about? But we were like They're getting so into contacting it. Contacting the conductor. Yeah. I, I, I never had James Franco in my radar. And I remember when it was cast and announced, I was like, oh, that's interesting. You know, because mind you, he was really trying to dig deep into the drama. This is like the same time he was doing The Deuce. He did a movie that I saw at Sundance called True Story, which is on Netflix now. It's not good. True but he was, admi- his, he was admirably, at the time, really trying to move away from, you know, the, the stoner comedies. The, yeah, the stoner comedies and yeah. like... And I'll give to his credit, I think he's phenomenal in 127 Hours and also yes. The Disaster Artist. So, like, he has the chops. Yeah. But are you, I, I, I have a feeling I'm alone here. I, um, I, and I, I think Disaster Artist is incredible. Like, yeah. I think he actually would have gotten the Oscar had it not been for, you know, yeah, all the getting Me Too and all that stuff. Yeah. But the, re, the, more the real think, Franco coming out. Yeah, no, I was going to say, but, you mean him. Yeah. yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, no. Yeah. Like, I'm not trying to diminish that at all, but <laughs> yeah. I'm just saying like he is capable. But I honestly think if you switch the casting of Josh Tamal and James Franco, it would work. Ooh. I think Josh would be I love Josh Jamal, but. I would watch. That I, I think them good. switching would work better. Just in my yeah. opinion, I, it, James Franco feels very of our time. So it's even when he goes back in time, it it yeah. doesn't he doesn't blend in the way that Jake is able to blend in in the book. Right. And I think yeah. Josh has more of a timeless look. If but that Josh makes sense. is so good looking. It's like he, yeah. he could yeah. be a host for Entertainment Tonight. Like, but you I mean, can picture him with like a pair of jeans over his belly button. Oh yeah, like the sexiest man of 1950. But then who's uh-huh. playing Frank? You're saying Franco's playing Frank Dunning? Yeah, that's like that's like when Superman fights him. Gene Hackman, and little... Thomas Jane. <laughs> yeah. Thomas, that would be Tom Shane would be great as either of those roles. I think. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if this was made bef- ten years before the book was published, I think it probably. Would Right. Or they go back in time, you know? Yeah. Make yeah. it work. Um, I, Franco's my biggest problem with I know. this. I just cannot. It's, I, I can't. I don't buy him as Ernest. Sammy hated him as, as this. And yeah. He, and I'm she like, liked funny. Franco. like I was so this. excited when I heard about it, like getting cast. And I liked it the first time. But watching it now for some, I'm just like, wow, he's kind of 
there's moments where I like him. There are moments yeah. where I think he's doing great. Most of them with Sadie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But the rest of the time, it's like, I don't believe him. I don't believe him for a second. I don't believe he's committed to this mission. I don't think he has any charm. Yeah. I just, yeah, it's so strange to me. Yeah. I, it's the, like, the, there's the the camera lingering on him and him giving kind of like a coy smile. It's just like he doesn't pull that off for me. He doesn't. And Josh Dumel could because he, you know, I'm thinking about him in like Transformers when he's essentially just <laughs> playing like G.I. Joe or somebody, you know, he can play earnest and he can play like heroic. There's just always this kind of scumbag quality to Franco, which I think works really well for him in some kind of roles. But I, I just I do not buy him as earnest. And would this, he have been better know? if he's like at a piano singing Britney Spears and um, wearing dreadlocks and, 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 you know, Hey Sadie, uh, you know, hey, Sadie, it's like, who's yeah. this guy? He looks like a man out of time. Uh, Instead of, uh, the, uh, Beatles song, he just, plays yeah, her, like, he starts uh, playing like, a, a, like, like, a, was it a, like who's Kesha the guy? or something? Who's the mm. DJ that, uh, was a Skrillex? Yeah. That's who it is. He starts playing Skrillex songs. Yeah. Um, yeah. She's like, are you from this planet? He's like, uh, I'm from New York city, a whole other planet. <laughs> That's the kind of energy he has. Joy, yes, Joe and comes that's out. why I love him. <laughs> but, um, but he goes back in time too. Like there's moments where he's like feeling like it feels almost like super condescending the way he's talking yes. to the other people. Uh, like, oh golly, yeah, it's the 50. Like, I don't know, just the way he's interacting with the other characters. I'm like, God, kind of an asshole right now. I don't think uh, the script does him any It doesn't. Yeah. yeah. There's some there's yeah. some there's some parts in this that the dialogue's pretty rough. Like there are parts where he has to kind of just be especially when he's talking to bill or he, you know, he's, he has to like resign back to the mission. He's like, don't talk to me. It sounds such like a five-year-old who doesn't get milk and cookies. You know, gets his, yeah. yeah, Petulant (laughs) is the key word there. Um, I think that final episode, he's pretty great though. Yeah. I agree. I agree. And there are moments where he's great, you know? Yeah. It's just, it's inconsistent. And in the moments where he's not, it pulls me out, you know? Well, it's just so strange, too, because I can't, as someone who, you know, I've got crazy body dysmorphia, so I'm, I'm obsessed with, fa- I'm vain, and I'm, I'm going to go to hell for it, but <laughs> I, I it's so That's strange that, where at some points he looks kind of schlubby, and then at other points he looks like he's, like, built for an action star. Like, I couldn't tell yeah. what was going on. It was like, did they film parts of this when he was, like, doing, I don't know, another fucking Ginsburg adaptation, or, like, and then did they do another one where he was, like, you know, supposed to be ripped for... God knows what movie he was doing as an action. It's just there. It's very. He's very. Um. He kind of just changes throughout the the series for some reason. Like it yeah. almost mm-hmm. feels like there's like two different Francos in a way. But I mean, I guess and, there are. And I feel like the series really lives and dies with this character too. I know. You know, and that's where I think that that's where I find it not believable in places where I really want to believe it. Well, the big question. Well, let's save that for one. I'll save that for George. Um, or for Bill. Uh, anything else in Franco? Oh, man. Yeah, it's partly the script. I don't know. I can save it for my misery. But like, okay. the fucking Beatles song. Come on, Jake. <laughs> like, yeah. it's so bumbling. Yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's a little ridiculous. But yeah. um, what's not ridiculous, and what I would say is the resounding MVP of this is uh, Sarah Godon as Sadie Dunhill. Yes. You know, in, our, in your opinion, Jen, I know that she's the heart of the novel for you. Um, yes, absolutely. Do you feel like I do that she's the heart of the show? Yes, I completely agree. I think if like she is the one that saves Franco in the moments where he really stumbles, I think that relationship is what pulls us in and keeps and keeps me liking him. You know, I think and I think they were really smart to introduce her in the first episode also. Um, 
So yeah, she she is so fantastic in this role. It's the first thing I'd ever seen her in. And I think like they take kind of the the stumbliness or the clumsiness of Sadie away. And I, I'm okay with that. But like, she's just so sweet. She's so watchable. Great Southern accent too. Mm-hmm. So yeah, love her. Oh, she passes uh, the She does. The Jen she Adams. passes. Now it's a little Texas. It's not, ten- it's not a Tennessee Southern accent. Yeah. But yeah, it's yes. That, Interesting. She passes. Not well, everyone. <laughs> let me see where she's from because I, I want to see. She's if Canadian. Is, she's from she's Canadian. Ah, nice. I, all right. So I remember at the time we had, you know, Justin and I, we had screeners of this. Or I had screeners and he came over and watched them or whatever. Oh. Um, I mean, you were probably. <laughs> I feel Justin. like you yeah, were there I watched too. them too. But yeah. Let's <laughs> so be we, clear whose screeners they were. Yeah. They were my <laughs> screeners and they had my little stamp on there where it gets whose right over. name was across the It's screen. my favorite <laughs> way to watch television, frankly. Where oh, yeah. You have my you name. Your email time. address with yeah. see through font posting yeah. like a Chiron. And then occasionally it'll say, like, how many years in prison I'll have if I, you know, leak <laughs> it out. Uh, but th- th- again, the best way to watch any type of screener. I, I've, I love watching, um, what was it, Roma that way. That was fun. Um, <laughs> so uh, so I remember we were at Sundance, which is, I, I only think about this just because it came up in the memories. And we were like, Justin and I were in line to a movie that we were absolutely going to destroy because it was this movie called The Fundamentals of Caring. Mm-hmm. And it is the cheesiest fucking movie I've ever seen in my life. And at one point, we we were in the the rafters and we were, we were we were laughing so hard that I almost pissed my pants and like he did this whole thing where he wrote a trivia for IMDb which you can actually still find and still upvote um, mm, which was mm-hmm. about how Selena Gomez thought cool that <laughs> performed with Paul Rudd. Oh my god! And that we, has now we, become pod lore. I think <laughs> it's pod lore. But so we were in line and I remember he bumped me and I was just like what, you don't touch me and then he goes <laughs> um, and I said. Uh, and he and he goes no look and you know two out of us was Sarah Gadon and I I was like we like it was so insane because I go Sadie and I I said it out loud I didn't say it thankfully not loud enough but it was so pathetic that I was like I wasn't even thinking about her playing Sadie in this miniseries because I had seen a couple of the episodes and she was there to obviously promote the the miniseries so that's two fel- festivals I missed out on the eleven twenty two coverage on just an absolute shameful Stephen King fan but I remember. I said it out loud and I look over at him. I was like, why did I say that? Like, and then like, she didn't turn around or anything. Cause I think she was with her husband or whatever. But, um, I just remember thinking like, I have, I now, I think that she is literally the embodiment of this fictional character, which mm-hmm. I guess says a lot to how yeah. great she is in this movie miniseries. Thanks Sorry for, the for nightmares, that. Yeah. I know. Yeah. It's, well, it's if you gave her a copy of from here to eternity too. Like, yeah. oh, oh, oh ma'am, you left this. Oh. And she, she'd think her. that I She's hadn't like, seen, you know, yeah. Oh, you, she'd be like, uh, security. <laughs> no, she she's. I mean, absolutely stunning. It, it just like mm. she's so captivating and beautiful. But she really gets that. If you ever have like looked at like you know, nineteen fifties, sixties fashion of like, I, I I find that clothing to actually hold up over time. You know, like the mm. dress oh, the glove, with like you know, yeah. Oh. It's it just like she she's like. I, I said in the book episodes that like Amber heard from the Rum Diary, which is kind of the same time period. I thought mm. she could have pulled this off, but she mm. almost looks too much like a movie star. She went to yeah. Nadine Whereas, instead, so. Yeah, but Sarah Gadon, look, I mean, she just, and I, I'm i obsessed with, like, Canadian performers. There's a wholesomeness that they have that it it makes them more believable, if mm-hmm. that makes any sense. And I think if you've seen the series, that it will. It just, she's so captivating, and you're always interested when she's on screen. Mm-hmm. And she plays it with the right amount of charm, naivete, 
but also when she stands up for herself, it's, I think she is the standout performer in the series. Absolutely. Yeah. Other than Yellow Card Man. Yeah, so it never <laughs> feels too network or like CW, no. you know, it doesn't yeah. lean into the cheese. It's like honest, endearing earnest. Yeah. yeah. It feels very authentic. And I, my note, I just have, she's delightful. Like yeah. I, yeah. I like her and she, that smile. Are you kidding me? Like you can oh see God. why Jake would fall in love with her. <laughs> like if, oh, she's so, yeah. She just, was the one her. that I, I thought this was impossible to cast because yeah. she's so, you run the risk so much. I, and I want to throw this out is that she could easily become the manic pixie dream girl. Yes. And I don't think absolutely. that's the case in this. I don't, I, mm-hmm. I think there's enough nuance and enough sort of um, darkness about her own storyline and kind of where it goes that it, it kind of, it, you know, choose this sort of, you know, hey, listen, this song will change your life sort of thing. Like I, and I, and I think in lesser hands that would have easily just come off the rails with that. And she could have been too pretty where it all of a sudden yeah. it looks like you're dealing with like a Marilyn Monroe. And mm-hmm. uh, I just don't think that that's the case here. I think that is, it, it does feel like this could be that beautiful girl next door who maybe doesn't realize that she's quite possibly one of the most beautiful people in the world. And maybe some other people don't either because she's got that demeanor to her. And I think the demeanor is what saves it. Sorry, John, I didn't mean. No, no, you're right. I agree with you. The one thing that I am frustrated with the show about, and I think it kind of sums up some of my issues, is the scar thing. The scar is ridiculous. It is. It's like she looks exactly the same. They didn't even bother to put the scar on old Sadie. You know, like, and that's, that's where the Jonathan Demi thing I, I miss, well, you know, yeah. I want. Wait, wait, I, 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 I want to throw this to you because you know what it reminds me of? It's a movie I just watched recently because of your recommendation. We're talking, <laughs> we're talking. Is it, is it Death Wish 5? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> the faces of <Yes>. death. <laughs> because similarly, Charles Bronson's fiance, I believe, mm-hmm. in that, uh, or would be fiance. Anytime they, they, someone says, you know, we should get married, there's like six gangsters <laughs> that are like, just like, let's kill them. Um, <laughs> but I was laughing in that because I was like, oh, she's like, oh, my face will never be the same. It's like, fucking, there's like a couple bandages up on like yeah, her forehead. Yeah. Like, anyway. That's, yeah, it's yeah, also. No, Oh, go ahead. Go for it. No, go for it, Rachel. Like, I, I don't hold this against the performance, but I, I'm a little disappointed that we don't really get to see the ugly or the messy side of Sadie. Yeah. Very, yes. like, at all, really. And so, in that way, I think it does feel a little dream girl ish. It would, like, she gets mad at Jake, but it would have been nice to have a little bit of a slightly messier. Yeah. Like, maybe, yeah, maybe she, the smoking, you're right. Oh, my so gosh. Like I a chain smoker in the oh, Yeah. The yeah, smoking. Like, Dunhills. Don't have that like the the OD thing, obviously, or like even yeah. when they break up, it doesn't feel like it's for that long. And mm-hmm. I just I just wish she was a little messier to make her feel a little bit more realistic. I agree. I do like that she shoots, dude. Though, like yes. that yeah. is a great yeah. addition. You yes. know, it's very. It felt very. I don't want to spoil the movie with Mika Memro, but it felt very watcher. Take, taking so, a little, yeah, taking some power back. Yes, yeah. but. Do they, they don't, God, because here's the thing. We were supposed to film, film, we were supposed to record this episode three weeks ago. So I watched the first six episodes three weeks ago. I do not recall the broom story. She doesn't know. It's not there. It's not a clothespin. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Which I guess is darker. Yeah, but also like cheesier, you know? Yeah. We've all, we've heard that. Yeah. I, I yeah. guess the, the the scar thing is that's a, yeah that's a perfect parallel to like the 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 lack of grit 
Because I was just like, we were watching, I was watching a Sammy who, she actually turned this off because she read this, or she read the book right when she moved in. And uh, she started watching the miniseries, which is a big mistake. Because she's the type that like, if it's not a pure adaptation, she just fucking loses her mind about it. And and she she stopped after two episodes. And so when we finally got to the part where it's like Sadie at the Scar, she just started laughing. And she's like, they literally like went out of their way to like not touch anything. It's just like it's, this. It just, it's like contouring almost. Yeah. Like it just makes her jawline look yeah. more. T- it, it's yeah. like this Cindy Crawford mole. It's like, yes. oh, exactly. what a blemish. Yes. You're like, oh, it's chanting. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like the book, I forgot because of this miniseries how devastating the actual wounds are. It that, like, like tilts her whole face. She has like yeah. a stroke face where it's like yes. droopy. Like what's William that? Defoe and poor things. Like yes. Yes. more like that. Yes. Yeah. Well, let's, what's that movie? I always see this the the image during the winter with like they're like on a ski slope or something like that, and there's like a woman with like the mask melted and or the face melted. There's someone's running with like a knife or something. Anyway, the, I'm sure the listeners are force majeure. Like, yeah, no, I have no, no idea. What you're... But yeah, it's huh. a it's an old classic movie. I can't remember what it is, but yeah, the the, the William Defoe is a good comp for that. And yeah. I I don't know if they were just scared to do that. Or what the fuck? Like well, we it, just... it 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 ties to the even when they go in the fifties, every car is pristine. Yeah, that's and true. Rachel can attest to this <laughs> as a motorhead. That yeah, no, that wasn't reality. Like cars were banged up. There was dust. There was dirt. There were you even, know fender benders. There, not everything was off. Even the Even bills. That's like yes. they've like made it to look dirty, but underneath it's like it it's looks like, oh, like that car is not. And, and I think that's a JJ <laughs> Mater <Abrams>. Bella's truck. <laughs> yeah, but but I think that's a JJ Abrams of like things are too clean and yes. too good looking. Yep. You yep, go okay. to Lost. Nobody looks that good when they're stranded on an island. But there's a there's a when I say like he's trying to you know he's admiring Spielberg. He leans toward like well it's show business baby you know it's all fantasy it's all beautiful. But with King, his novels get into the macabre and the the less than attractive. Mm-hmm. So you lose something by almost polishing this too much, right? It's it's well, never. Isn't that one of the quotes at the very clean. beginning of the book, right? Talking about how like the cracks and like well, we don't see the cracks here, yeah, in at all. <laughs> right. Exactly. No well, and even the past has this rosy sheen. Like we are literally looking at the past through a rose colored lens, and then when we see like the classroom, there's like more of a blue filter, and I want that blue filter all the way through. Mm-hmm. So it's part of the book too. Is that the and and they do make an effort to like bring in racism and to show like it wasn't. Oh, there's rosy. that one scene. It's like the one scene. Yeah. Yeah. But it's still like rosy. Like it mm-hmm. looks rosy. Like make it blue. Like make it dour. You know. Well, they do. do I mean. All right. Well, we'll get to her character in a second, but there is some interesting uh, absorption of certain characters from the book that they they managed to do here, which I want to talk about because we talked about that a lot in the the other books. Yeah. But um, let's keep talking about Sarah. Uh, Sarah. Let's keep talking about Sadie, not Sarah Gadon, um, but also Sarah Gadon. Let's talk about the, the the two leads as we keep talking about the supporting characters. I, I really want to get to. Uh, George McKay as Bill Turcott. Yes. Uh, because I think this is the biggest change in the book. Yep, yep. And the reason here, I have a quote. So neither Carpenter or Abrams wanted to lean on the voiceover. Um, so Abrams actually suggested building out the Bill character. And Carpenter said, it's not a character staring at things all the time. That push from JJ helped me draw a character that existed in King's book, but I shifted him and made him more of a compatriot for Jake. So when I got the when I got the screeners, I remember being like the first two episodes, and the book was still fresh in my mind because it had only been like five years, four four and a half years, whatever. And I remember this happening, and it ends with the, you know him being held up on the side, and he shows like this, the the 
the JFK shot. And my mind was kind of blown being like, oh my God, what are they going to do? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like, how are they doing this? I think they pull this off. The issue is I just don't think they have enough runway to get what to, I think, is one of the coolest and most Kingian twists for a character. Because what happens to Bill in this is, is just really dark. Yeah. Like, like we want to talk about the gritty of this, this miniseries. This is the grittiest part. And Brian Burnett, Loses Club historian, infamously just appeared on the Haven episode Haven. with you, Dan. Um, he actually lodged a good question. Is like, does this make Jake pretty, does it make Jake unforgivable? Yes, for me, yeah. I think. It's, it's one of those things where it's like, I understand it. It makes, like on paper, it makes sense, right? Because it splits Jake and those conversations. It's a personification basically of Jake's sort of inner dialogue and that struggle with the mission versus Sadie and Jody and that kind of thing. Plus you also get like a, ooh, buddy time cop kind of yeah. thing. Yeah. But yeah, it's super dark because then when he dies, it's kind of like Jake doesn't, you know, Bill's no longer needed because Jake has adopted his connections and his perspective to this world. And so he doesn't need Bill. It, like I get what Bill is. Um, and how, like, especially when he says, fuck you, fuck your mission, fuck JFK. And we see him get really close with Marina and Lee. It makes sense because that's also where Jake is at. But by putting all of that on Bill, it takes it away from Jake. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like that whole struggle, you don't see Jake really go through that struggle. I don't feel like like you do in the book. So it's it, it makes sense, but also undermines the character, in my opinion. I, yeah, I, I have a lot of really conflicting thoughts about him because I do really, I think it is very smart on paper and there are a lot of things that really work. He also says a lot of things to Jake that I was saying to Jake while we were doing all of our book episodes. Like, <laughs> yeah. why don't you just talk to them? Why don't you just try? Like, how can you listen to him beating Marina and do nothing about it? Like, I yeah. really like having a voice to that stuff. It does frustrate the shit out of me to see him constantly try to like stick his foot in his mouth or like like reach out to like become friends with Lee I'm like do you not understand what we're doing like that feels frustrating to me but yeah I agree like the the ending like it's it's heartbreaking for him and to yeah. see how afraid he is to see like the that he's clearly gone through electroshock and it's Jake's fault. And now that Jake has Sadie and Sadie knows he doesn't need all yeah. they need is to just remember. And that's probably the only reason they showed up. And it's it is really heartbreaking. And it almost feels too dark for the show. Yeah. yeah. You, you know what it reminds me of, though? <laughs> Rachel is the many <laughs> funeral uh, the many, uh, you know, funeral scenes in the Death Wish series where oh he pops into these loved ones and is like, all right, and then just leaves and then does not even really think about the characters ever again. No. It's like, no, no, no. all right, we've had the funeral and that's yeah. that. Well, back right. to work. Well, yep. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, I have this, I found this quote from Bridget Carpenter about this and she says, Bill, 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 how we writers loved you. You became everything we wanted to say to Jake, every question we had about time travel, every warning. And even though Jake knows it's not the most prudent idea to bring Bill into his plans, let's face it, living in the past is lonely. It must have been a tremendous relief to have a friend, a brother with whom to share his plans. Yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, there's one point where he was like, oh, you go spend time with a girlfriend that you get to have. Exactly. And I was like, fuck yes. My other note was uh, he's got some nice arms on him. Like, I also mm-hmm. enjoyed looking at him. I do like the actor. I like the I performance. Yeah, I like what Southern he accent, does. Yeah. Too. <laughs> yeah. Like, I, I like everything about what he delivers. I'm just not 100% sold yeah, on Yeah, and, and even, the, 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 even. The, the tension with him and Marina, it's like, mm-hmm. Go fuck her, and then we'll respond to this drama. But instead, it's this. <laughs> there's not even will they, won't they energy. They just have like a brief I, interaction. And I to Jen's did point, like the. I did. Oh like no! The I was second, say, but it this... takes away from James Franco's character, though, because like we're visiting mm-hmm. all this drama on like, oh, you're from the future, you're crazy, you're you know. But now Bill is just going to absorb that and be tossed to the side, and Franco yeah. never has to go through it. And exactly. it makes Franco like grumpy dad too. Yeah, you know, Rachel. I liked the second shooter with the second he's like, the second shooter. When they're yeah. like sitting on the porch. I was like, ooh, there's uh-huh. a little bit of conspiracy sneaking in. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. And that's why he has him committed because he's like, oh, he's going to be the second shooter. Yeah, he. Uh, it's 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 like what we were talking about before. If we have one more episode where maybe yes. we get to see him kind of visit, I think they earn it a little bit. But I don't think you can come around to Franco or to to Jake after this. And maybe that's good. Yeah. And maybe I, that adds a little bit more dimension to his character. Mm-hmm. I just think either way it it's one of those things where you know when you go away from a movie for a while and you go back to it and this thing that was so devastating and such a wild turn, you couldn't believe like oh my god, I couldn't believe. And you'd think that's something that would stick with you. But on rewatch, when they get to the point where they they you know they put him away, I it just all came back to me, kind of like Jake in, in the the penultimate episode, where I was just like, oh my god, I forgot about this plot. I completely mm-hmm. forgot. And too. I think it's I because I think it's because you have to to really mm-hmm. kind of actually have any sort of feelings towards Jake at the end of this. Yeah, because it, it's and, it's pretty yeah. fucking unforgivable. Like, yeah, and it's so dark, you know, mm-hmm. like it just it does not fit with the the glossy feel you know yeah. but it, it, you know it's it's jake numbing himself to the realities of the mission right like yeah. i'm going yeah. to silence this part of myself and yeah have it committed and yeah. erased from my brain because this is what i want to focus on so like uh, yeah i appreciate that the concept yeah but yeah it's brutal to actually see it on screen though mm-hmm. yeah yeah um Speaking of concepts, how do we feel about Chris Cooper as Al Templeton becoming Dexter's dad throughout the rest of the series? <laughs> I, well, and I was like, can we, could we just do this instead of Bill? Yeah. You know, like, I don't think I would have Oh, that's a that. good point. But that's how it kind of is in the book, right? Like he's constantly yeah. referencing Al's notebook, like having these mm-hmm. literal conversations to nobody, to Al, like he could have done that i, I like. did read a really interesting piece of this review that i ended up cutting out because i was like i cannot just read this entire vox review but it was talking about how every time chris cooper shows up he seems increasingly less stable he mm-hmm. seems more like a conspiracy theorist or like he's got a temple hat on and it shows you more that jake has based this entire mission off of one conversation with this guy yeah and i thought that was a really interesting point it's like so i i think you need bill but i would have mm-hmm. the dexter's dad is a very good <laughs> I'm just imagining yeah. i'm imagining yeah. these scenes now where he's kind of like in the apartment and he's like 
he's like, God, I'm hungry. And then all of a sudden you, you just like cuts to like the kitchen you see like, uh, Al like cooking burgers. He's just like, well, <laughs> yeah. you know, you got to think about, you know, and he's basically just saying like the same sort of inner monologue that Dexter's dad mm-hmm. does. James Remar, by the way, yeah. the great James Remar, original oh, yeah. Hicks. And it, it kind of makes me laugh a little bit. Like I kind of wish we could see that, you know, he's like, no, you can't do that. Uh, you know, yeah. Jake, you're going too far. Uh, like, yeah, it, it actually, I know you're joking, but that kind of works. It works, like, right? If, yeah. if we got rid of George and just every or time Bill, Jake was... But George making, McKay plays Bill. Sorry. Um, sorry yeah. but, but if we got rid of Bill, sorry, George McKay. Uh, but every time, you know, Jake is making burgers in the past, yeah. he has like a vision of Chris Cooper. Because Chris <laughs> Cooper is a great actor and yeah. they yeah. really underutilize him in this, mm-hmm. you know? And just to have him kind of sit there is almost like, like you know, the... Not a Greek chorus, but kind of just like, hey, don't forget to don't forget the mission, Jake, you know, when he's at Sadie's house and then he looks and there's nothing there. Something like that. It it, it's weird that he's this attached. But not in an eight episode series. How many episodes is he in? Like three? One or no, two, two. Is he in two? Like there's like snippets, I think, in a couple. He's an Oscar winner, right? Didn't he win for American Beauty? No, I don't think he won for American Beauty, but uh, he won for something. But did he win for adaptation? Let me look real quick. Um, Oh, yeah, he might have won. But yeah, adaptation is another example of like he's a good actor and it's Mm -hmm. he's really underused in this. And he adds weight and grit, too, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Adaptation. He won. That's that's a hell of a role, though. He's fucking. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, I. God, now it makes more sense because if you if you would have done that, you can streamline a lot of the drama with Jake, and then by then it would make more sense to have some some sort of barrier between him and Sadie, which you never really feel. Yeah, right. You know, because it could be uh, a moral like he could be like, "What are you doing to this girl? You, it's not fair that you're dating her. She mm-hmm. doesn't know what you're here yeah, for." There's and none of that. <laughs> yeah, there which, really is no examination of the morals or the ethics in this. And I and I get why. Bill yeah. is so serviceable for the story because then you get kind of the sort of melodrama that happens with, you know, between Lee Harvey Oswald, played by Daniel Weber, and also, um, you know, Marina Oswald, played by Lucy Fry, who kicks fucking ass, by the way, in uh, the, the Wolf Creek series, season one. She's amazing in that. Um, but I don't know, like, I, it was tough to read sometimes in the book, and I thought these scenes were incredibly boring. Like, like the stuff with Marina and, and Bill... I just did. I tuned out. Like I was like, okay, let's just. I did too. Yeah, I was like, C plot. I don't yeah. care. I've got no one s- romance I'm interested in. Like I get yep, there are right. stakes and all, mm-hmm. but I just you know having I'm read more the book, interested in burgers than yeah. The steaks. Yeah, yeah. I want some. I want some <laughs> Al to, to to hang out there. There's also. Um, can I just? This is a dumb point, but so Al's losing the business because he's back. Right? They're like buying it out. Mm-hmm. isn't that but like go to the past and get money go rob a bank and then all right well now you're just splitting hairs it's just it's just the same thing of like why don't we just go back and like fucking kill well, that's what know. i said what just immediately kill lee harvey oswald in the first dan solved the problem i will say i really enjoy the part where he when in the first episode where jake is talking to christy love seeing christy too right but right. I, it's really effective to watch chris cooper come out mm-hmm. and look completely different i feel yeah. like that yeah. it, it gives us something that i think we do miss in the book yeah um all right so we got the main principles here i you know i guess we could talk a little bit about lee harvey oswald especially since we spend so much time how do you feel uh daniel weber does in this role uh and 
you know, as Jen says, would we have uh, preferred Steven Weber in this role instead to make it a little King's Dominion? Uh, no. <laughs> yes, always, always prefer Steven Weber. That would have been so weird. I'm yeah. sorry. He's like so old too. It's, it's you know. <laughs> hey, Steven Weber can do anything, okay? Yeah. Doing, and he's done voices too. I feel like in. He has, oh, yeah. What, was it? what is it? Uh, I feel like he could have done the sort of Russian accent. He reads anyway. it. Yeah. 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 Yeah, that's his. That's his. His hallmark. Hey, you could be Lee Harvey Oswald. You read it. Um. <laughs> Just because he could doesn't mean he should. Yeah, uh, I, I thought this Oswald was kind of. Um, I mean, we've seen Gary Oldman play Oswald. Yeah. It's a tough yeah. watermark to hit. <laughs> you know. Kidding. So I, I mean, it, the odds are against him. He's, just, he's passable. He's fine. Yeah, it, it's he, he's annoying. But that's how he's supposed to be. Right. Yeah. He goes to that petulance we were talking about earlier. Yeah. He, he captures that. I, I thought the just... ending with him was sort of, there just wasn't enough. Um, like you get to that scene and, you know, we talked a little bit about how Oswald becomes the monster. I just didn't get any of that with that. And maybe that adds a little bit more reality. But to me, it just kind of felt like uh, their fight at the end kind of felt a little community theater. Yep. Yes. <laughs> agree. And yeah. I just don't care about that part of the story, too. Like, and we talked about this a lot in the book episode, but that's not what I'm invested in. And I feel like this isn't a performance that does not pull me into that story. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, yeah. It, I mean, they're, they're fine. They're doing the best with what they have. I do feel like that is a, an extremely difficult role to play. And yeah. he, he's fine. Yeah. My, my issues aren't with Daniel Weber necessarily. I, I just think it's... Uh, they always position him very strongly as like, I know he did this. I know he's the guy, yeah. basically. There's less mystery about mm -hmm. how responsible he is in this series. I feel like we're in the book. It's really like, I'm really not sure. You know, Jake's saying that he's not sure, but it's always positioning him 100% as that he's going to do this. So, mm -hmm. I, yeah, I think it's just how how they utilize the character in the story. I'm kind of like, I, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. yeah um i mean I, I guess the only thing i'd also add to to the oswalds is that his mom was played by cherry jones i love this actress yeah. she's the mm -hmm. cop in signs which she's is non-fierce yeah. in succession oh yes that's true yeah she's a great character actor i think yeah. she's i think she's solid in this i don't think we get the mean mom as much as we do in the book which i'm okay with yeah i don't really yeah. need it um Give me right, two more episodes and maybe that'd be fun. Oh, maybe. Yeah, we could have had a whole, you know, then we could throw in some little Easter eggs where she has a room and closet where she puts Lee Harvey Oswald in. And, that's right, you know, that's the... a creepy Christ that stares at him. <laughs> yeah. Um, he's like, I killed JFK because he reminds me of Jesus. Um, go to your closet, Lee. Go to God. <laughs> anyway, uh, let's talk about the last two faces I really think we should talk about in Jody. Nick Searcy, my boy from Justified as Deke Simmons and Tonya Pinkins as Mimi Corcoran. Like the Bill Turcott, a pretty significant change here. You know, we get uh, to combine Ellen Dockery and Ms. Mimi. And then you kind of pull in the, the racist elements of the past. Does it work? Works for me. Yeah. I think it makes sense. Yeah. And like, yeah, I can do that. I, I honestly wish I got a little bit more of them, mm -hmm. like being, you know, friends with Sadie and Jake together. But that goes into the bigger, like just Jody in general. Yeah. Um, I don't 
necessarily feel like they sell that they're friends as well as like we obviously get in the book uh but i don't have any problems with them really yeah, combining I, I, I like the recasting as miss mimi as a black woman i think that actually really works mm -hmm. for what the story was telling mm -hmm. yeah. and it is very that's one of the bigger changes um i don't know she reminded me even like it sounds weird the holdovers character yes yeah of kind yeah, of like divine Randolph, yeah. yeah like a period piece about a school and someone has to kind of whip everyone into shape yeah. I the thing I liked about this change is that it does really allow Jake and they don't really lean in on this enough, but it really at least in the book, it, it would have allowed Jake and Deke to kind of relate to this sort of living in secrecy, you know, and mm -hmm. and they yeah. do that Point. in a sense with the book itself, like with because obviously it's it's I guess it's somewhat taboo that uh, Mimi and Miss um, Mimi and, and Deke would be together. But having this change. I don't know because they, 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 the two of them did feel like very twinner characters. So to have them both together, it makes sense so much narratively, TV wise. Yeah. But absolutely, um, it's Rita and Nadine. You know, yeah, it's like a hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we did talk about that a lot with the book. I, I think it, it does work. I agree. There are moments where the it feels like a very, very heavy-handed um, way to pull in. Hey, the past was racist, you know, which I do appreciate the attempt, but there are moments where it feels a little bit um, like movie of the week kind of, yeah. you know, yeah, like, oh, here's here's Jake to save the day, you know. Well, you mentioned movie of the week, but monster of the week was certainly a, a, a trend and fad of uh, the X-Files. Uh, and in the X-Files, uh, you never knew if Mulder and Scully were going to be chasing the aliens that were part of the arc or going after a werewolf or a vampire. And uh, this uh, this series has a little monster of the week, too, with uh, Josh Duhamel. 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 <laughs> I fuck up his name every time. Josh Duhamel. Josh Duhamel. <laughs> It's Josh Duhamel, actually. Josh Duhamel. Um, du just call him Josh Dunning because he plays Frank Dunning. And oh. there's T.R. Knight, which I believe he was in Grey's Anatomy. He was uh, in Grey's Anatomy. Johnny yeah, Clayton. So Johnny Clayton, Frank Dunning, two villains, arguably the strongest elements of the series. Um, do you, which one do you think pulls it off the best in this? Oh, Josh Duhamel. Now, I do think T.R. Knight is really great in this role. And he, I love his, he's got like this sinister Southern accent that I really dig. But I mean, Josh Jumel, one, smoking hot. Our first introduction to him where he's like <laughs> blowing smoke over his shoulder. And I was like, uh -huh. oh my God. You know, I already like him. <laughs> Jen, like, sit down. Wearing your shirt makes over your head. You do love villains so much. I it's really like, do. You got to like, read Sammy Smut books because they all the villains get the girls. And so it's. I you know, know the stuff like, she tells me is just filthy. Like a, he seems like he might be mean to me. I think I'm into him. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He yeah told, she told me one story Jim. about a character like a Josh Duhamel type. Oh, look, I got it. Uh, pull, putting like a woman's head into a, a, a shark-infested waters while they're having sex or something like that. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> She's in the room right now, probably being like, "Why the fuck are you saying this stuff?" But it's all in the smut books. So what can I say? But yeah, the villains are are all the rage these days. So it mm -hmm. makes sense. Well, he 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 looks a lot like Timothy Oliphant. Yes, he and does. To the point where Timothy Oliphant's mom actually showed him a picture. She texted him and was like, "Oh, you look good in this photo." And he's like, "That's Josh Jamel." <laughs> oh, <laughs> your own mom. Tells like a Conan huh. story. Uh, no, that's he told it on Conan. Oh, that, that makes sense. Too. That makes total sense. Um, yeah, I don't know. I feel like the the clean stuff. You well, I guess you get a little bit of it because I do like the introduction of Sadie in the beginning when she when he visits Dallas and that whole segment that seems a little superfluous uh, to the 
to the considering it's not in the in the book. But I guess we get enough of Clayton. I, I just never really felt the menacing presence so much. Like the scene itself is great. I just think we needed a little bit more. Like you know, in the Halloween series, or at least in the first one, Michael Myers is like popping up outside the school. He's popping up outside of the here and there, the hardware store, et cetera. I think we could have needed at least one or more, one or two more scenes with Clayton doing that. Well, but, even more yeah, like it, like more like stalking. Like mm-hmm. I, they they have that face to face, which is great. Which which it's fine. I just. It would have, I kind of like the idea how it is in the book where he's been there and yeah. Jake just hasn't registered it. Yeah. Yeah. And then he just kind of shows up like, and now here it almost feels like he's just doing it because Jake told him to like, fuck off basically. Yeah. yeah. We need more of Sadie being afraid of him too. Like yeah. we need this, we need more of this story. We need to see like, like I love the scene where she tells Jake what happened and I, it just feels so rushed here. So I feel like a lot of the weight of that scene is kind of undercut because we didn't get a build up to it. Yeah. 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 Um, I, just the undunning for closing thought. It, the way he kind of takes Jake, I, I feel like they were trying to recreate Blue Velvet where Frank mm. takes like get in the yeah. car, fucker. Yeah. And, it, but it wasn't there wasn't the menace there. And I think that guy can play a good villain, but I I would have liked to see more from my dunning here, I guess. Mm-hmm. A little yeah. scarier. Yeah. Yeah. A little scarier. Well, can I can I just say and I because I love him that Kevin J. O'Connor as yellow card man. Well, you were gonna like, get to him, yeah, for oh, sure. Well, like let's do it. Guy, let's do it. Why not? Um, but no, I think that guy is great as a character actor. He's actually mm-hmm. a DePaul alum. Mike. Oh, is he really? Yeah. Oh, interesting. Um, but he's great at playing like someone that just you're like, oh, that guy looks like he has a broken past. Like <laughs> yeah. he, he looks kind of like Bonnie Prince Billy, if you know that. Like, oh my he, god! Because <laughs> he's in uh, There Will Be Blood. He's the imposter yes. brother, and it just he looks like he, like he bludgeons belongs. him or something like that, doesn't he? Yeah, or, or he shoots yeah. him in the head. Oh, shoots him in the head. That's what it is. Yeah, I didn't mean anything, Daniel. But uh, that's like such he, a depressing. That guy looks. It's like he lives in the 60s or the 20s. Do you know what I mean? Like he's passable because yeah. he, there's a haunted uh-huh. quality to him that I really appreciate. Well, he answers our question that we had in the book. And this isn't in the book, but he certainly answers it for the series is that, you know, no matter how many times Jake tries, she's going to die. Which to me, no, that's not the case. She, he could have tried and he could have lived in Jody and would have been just fine. But in this case, he does confirm that, yeah, this is sort of like a, you know, Groundhog Day situation. If he keeps doing it, she's going to die. Um, did we like that? That confirmation? And that's the reason why he's like, eh, I can't do it. As opposed to the world is going to fall apart and I can't reach her. I think yeah. the tragedy of him hitting the, the, the timeline too many times and not being able to get to Sadie, I just think that hits harder for me. I don't like yeah. the confirmation of, oh, you can't go back. Because then I it agree. just means it was pointless to begin with. I like the the unknown of and the what if of like, well, what if you did opt for that, mm-hmm. and you could have had the happiness that you didn't want. Like for me, that's more tragic. But what do you the all conf- think? Yeah, the conflict and the temptation. And- it feels like the end of Pet Cemetery. Of no, I I can do it this time. You mm-hmm. know, she just died. So yeah, the confirmation, and even then, I'm not sure that there aren't scenarios where Sadie could have survived. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Mm-hmm. It's, it's like lottery odds, I guess. Yeah. 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 And I feel like it, it, it's with the whole Sadie romance thing. It's one of the things where we fill in the blanks because we've read the book. But yeah. I imagine somebody coming into this fresh being like, what? Why? Why? Why don't yeah. you just hang out? Or at least tell her not yeah. to marry uh, Clayton. You know? Yeah. 
Yeah. No, I don't know. Yeah, it just feels forced. And I feel like another episode or two, I think, may, maybe could have solved that. Um, any more thoughts on Corcoran? Um, what was his name? Corcoran. Shit, I finally fucked that up. Oh, uh, Connor. Yeah, O'Connor. Corcoran. I had a little dairy on the mind, clearly. Oh, yeah. Uh, the Corcoran kid. Uh, I only want to have one shout out. And it's uh, to Leon Rippey. I think I talked about him in the book episodes, but I really love this guy. He's a character actor. He was in Firestarter, actually. Uh, the original one. He was in Maximum Overdrive. So he's, he's got some king chops to him. But he's also just been in pretty much like every fucking movie you can think of. And it's just some really random ones, too. Like, I mean... He's like a major in Stargate. He's in uh, the, you know, 93. Uh, he's in Cuffs. He's <gasps> in the, the, he was in the Patriot. He's got a great scene in the Patriot where he's kind of like his family dies. And he like blows his head off. Spoiler alert. He was also <laughs> Ollie Dinsmore in Under the Dome. So that's actually where we talked about him. It was an Under mm. the Dome TV show that last I year. Knew, but I knew that name. Yeah. I think he nails Harry Dunning to perfection here. Um, and it's, oh, yeah. to, to me, it, it really, I don't know. I got, I was really sentimental about his scenes there. And especially at the end oh, when he's like, and Jake is just hugging him. It's like, I thought that was like probably the most emotional beat in the movie other than when the, the final dance. Um, yeah. So yeah, Leon Rippey, what a great one. He's a, he's mm-hmm. a, he, he's, and weird enough, he was born on October 30th, which is when all, you know, kind of around all the dates when Harry Dunning happens and so in oh, real life Leon right. Rippey is. so yeah so mm-hmm. i just thought that was interesting um i think that's all unless we do you have any other call outs that we want to do for, for heroes and villains no yeah, well good. then i guess it's time <sighs> look just let's just gather around the circles because lately it's been hard for me to sleep and i think it's time that we probably sort out through our own nightmares and dreams if you think your dreams are disturbing <laughs> <laughs> Imagine the nightmares of Stephen King. What are you, some sort of a horror movie guy? No, Clyde, I'm a literary guy. Real quick, these are our round robin sections, so we'll be flying through here. Uh, we're going to do what we loved and what we hated. Uh, Fleeger, let's start with you. Um, I, It's worth watching. I think this is a good... The book is obviously better. That's the cliche. But this is somehow better than it deserves to be as a miniseries something does click and work and the payoff at the end the final dance is really worth it for me so you love, so, yeah, you love the dance you love yeah the, and yeah. i i feel like we talked about the stuff we didn't like already so we can kind of keep it on the positive i i just yeah it felt good it felt like a completed story that i was very happy like it was a good journey what if you had one blemish though? You're like that. That really does surface out to you. You're like, ah, I didn't really like that. It's like the J.J. Abrams slash Franco mm-hmm. slash too clean. Yeah, if that makes sense. Yeah. Based on what I've said earlier, you can yeah. piece together my art evidence. But. Fair enough, uh, Rachel. Yeah, I mean, what I don't like just in general is yeah, it feels like eleven twenty two sixty three light. Yes, <laughs> like light root beer, zero mm-hmm. calories. Um, you know, it just like yeah, all the good stuff is kind of what makes it good is taken out a little bit. It's still got yeah, yeah, it's still the flavor and the same color, kind of, but there's something missing. And so yeah, it's that it's too polished, too clean. Yeah. The characters and the look a little bit. Um, I did not, and this was like a oh oh never mind. I'll say that for the next next section. Ooh, um, okay. What I loved, I mean, 
they were all way too clean but i yeah. did like i did like seeing all the cars <laughs> yeah. like and just seeing them like all over and i you know i i, I did like some of the just the period set pieces and mm-hmm. and the clothing and that kind of stuff like i did i like the period and how that part um looked and the part about mash when he's talking about he was yeah. in mash 4077 kind of made me lol but then it's like oh this dude's telling you like a really serious yeah. <laughs> like conversation and you're basically like i don't Did know you, making it a joke <laughs> if you could take home any car in this production what would you want to do jake oh jesus i mean you gotta do kennedy's i was like my actual like my car is in like in some of the background shots so it's like i have one of them but i do like I mean, the Sunliner is yeah. is yeah. really that like yellow and black, and it is really gorgeous. He has good taste in cars. Jake does. Yeah. All right, Jen. Okay, the thing that I dislike, I like the mash thing. It's I could abide the mash thing. I cannot abide the the Godfather thing. Oh yeah, and yeah. the Beatles thing. Like it's one thing to accidentally sing like what is it, Witchy Woman or something, but to like try to woo her with the Beatles, <laughs> it's just so winky at the past. I feel like this Jake feels like an idiot to me a lot of times like when his phone just like falls out of his pocket you know i'm like come on yeah and it it feel it just feels like a clunky way of like fish out of water kind of thing it just feels too unbelievable to me what i love is the second episode and i have thoughts about this for the cemetery but that episode that has the grittiness that i want that has the the horror the scares i don't know if i really love the slaughterhouse thing but that really works. I think Josh Dumel is really great in that role. And that is, yeah, that's that's the high point of it for me. And I was crying like a fucking baby in that last episode yeah. today. Yeah. So it yeah. really got me. Yeah, the ending is a love for me. The, the sweet moments yeah. are, the, when there's, the moments are sweet, they're good. Like when they're he's on really the porch sweet, yeah. and like he's got some good lines that he tells Sadie. Like, I, yeah. Those yeah. Are, I would put a lot of that on Bridget Carpenter. Yeah. Yes, me too. Yeah. So the yeah. sweet's great. Sour. Eh, let's add a f- few more warheads in there. Um, <laughs> uh, I'll certainly, uh, you know, attribute this chill not to the warhead, but to uh, the the creaking gates of the cemetery. What's the bottom of the truth? Well, sometimes that is better. The person you put up there ain't the person that comes back. It may look like that person, but it ain't that person. Because whatever lives in the ground beyond that cemetery ain't human at all. I think this is going to be a pretty fast section, because I wouldn't necessarily call this a a spooky show. Uh, But neither is the book, really, if you think about it, unless you talk about the walking tours in Daria, which we did. So you can go back to those book episodes. What was the scariest part for you in this? Uh, Flieger. Probably the bookie beatdown. Mm, was yeah. pretty graphic when they were like holding him up and just pummeling him like hamburger meat. That's always hard to watch a beating. Yeah, they did a pretty good job in like showing the actual beat. I was watching um, Temple of Doom for the four millionth time today. It was on Pluto <laughs> TV. And I was wondering like, would we punch more in a society if w- our punches actually did sound like we were in an Indiana Jones movie? Like if, if we, we just love the novelty of it, like, Foliaris like, world, but in real life, 
in real life, like the punches are so like, it, it, it is like hitting just like a, a piece of frozen meat or something like that. There's nothing really to it. So like I, f I did like this this scene where it does feel like a real beat down because like you even watch like the, the Scorsese films. It's like, I love you know, it has the Indiana Jones quality of when you're beating somebody up. Like there's lo loud noises and all this other stuff. And it's like eh, in real life, it's it's pretty quiet and it's disgusting. And it's just a, you know, usually the, the Renettes aren't playing in the background. Mm -hmm. um, Rachel, what about you? Scariest scene. The the whole thing with the cow and the yes yeah, yeah. the dairy or the whatever the butcher the slaughterhouse where they're at I just I yeah. mean mm -hmm. it's just uncomfortable and it's actually scary yeah <laughs> he feels scary in that moment yeah it reminds me of a fellow um of fellow friend of or maybe I don't know anymore but Franco's uh, co star uh, Jason uh, Siegel yeah Jason mm. Siegel mm -hmm. in Fre forgetting Sarah Marshall when he's like trying to get over the girl and he's like yeah come out with me and. We'll go get a pig or whatever and then they're like asking it's like stab him stab him and he's like i'm sorry <laughs> so he's just like stabbing the, the 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 pig or whatever for the luau uh jen is it duamel 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 i do think that is really eerie i uh, but since i already mentioned that i want to shout out the tr night scene because i think it's really creepy i feel like we are missing a build up to it but when like the pillowcase over her head, it reminded me so much of Funny Games. Yeah, yeah. It, it's yeah. just he's so like cold and detached, and the the Southern accent works really well for that character because it's such like a light, sinister like Savannah kind of drawl thing, and it just it, it's really creepy. And I love more action in that scene. I like that Jake, like the way he kills him with that fire poker. I think mm -hmm. is is I I don't know if it's better than him cutting his throat, but visually it works really well, and I like it. Yeah, I I mean one of the scariest moments for me, other than Derry, which we don't go to here, uh, was the the Ford Future post, uh, mm. you know, the mission. Mm -hmm. You know, it's you get to do so much with the budget they're given, but I thought they did pretty good when showing us like post apocalyptic yeah. world, and I. You know, I definitely was like, all right, get out of here. Because <laughs> <laughs> mm. even in the book, I imagine Harry living in a nicer place than... I did too. Seems, yeah, it looked like the Terminator 2 set, like when they're in the future. You know, <laughs> uh -huh. like I thought there's going to be kids like watching crushing, TV that's burning in the fucking ground and stuff. Yeah. So. Like crushing skulls. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It is really eerie what he's saying too, like talking about the Kennedy camps too. Mm -hmm. Like I feel like it's it's a lot darker or like it's a lot of darkness really quick. Well, it's especially what happens to the family and everything. Yeah, it's really, mm -hmm. it's uh, yeah, and it ties to like the Hooverville yeah. during the 1930s. And mm -hmm. you're right, Mike, they, they put a decent budget on the post apocalyptic, yeah, for how sh little it's actually presented in the series. You know, there's really not a lot of have to because if like, that what? looked like a sound stage, then it, yeah, the whole thing falls. There, there really like, isn't what? a lot of time spent in the present, no, in the series, no. yeah, because yeah. they could tell like they were like, all right, let's just. Which is so strange because you'd think they would do it for budgetary yeah. reasons. It yeah. seems like it'd be cheaper. Yeah. yeah. They're, they're probably just like, hey, let's find this defunct school and just stay in it. I was like, <laughs> right. hold on. I'm getting a call on my iPhone 4. Five. Yeah. <laughs> um, or, oh, actually, you know what's another scary scene? Having the love of your life and then losing her and having to go back and teach a bunch of fucking miserable kids. <laughs> That scene where he's just sitting there, I, I think I just blow my brains out. I think, oh, look, I as like, a oh, former I'm... teacher, that was terrifying. Yeah. Like, like, no, never In the book, we again. just kind of, you know, we get little peppered images of him teaching, but just seeing Jake there and just having to see these papers and everyone just being kind of the same old, same old after mm -hmm. that whole adventure, it really does. It's like what you were saying about uh, 
someone was saying about Al coming through, it really, you know, elucidates the fucking, you really get the idea at that point. Yeah. And I got the idea that um, just how much it would suck to come back to 2016. Because um, guess what? He has oh, a God, lot to, 2016 I know, especially. he has a lot to look forward to that year. Yeah. Um, real Ooh. fun. Um, Dumpster fire over you. Yeah. Oh my God. Um, he'll probably Never be like, wait, be did, I, did I replace everything? Uh, did it really switch back? Um, he was like, get me back to the post-apocalyptic world. Yeah, <laughs> God. Uh, especially with Agent Trump there um yeah i thought those kids in the street were pretty cool actually yeah I they would join like, their gang they look pretty neat Eat up well, people take canned veggies well our next segment would definitely be a favorite of agent trump it's uh pound cake after all you've been taught everyone in bad mama everything in the sin come to your closet and pray ask to be forgiven he's a nice boy mom you like him you really like him mama remember the tapes uh all right <laughs> well um there's not a lot here. We mentioned this show being on HBO, which I see. I think certainly would change things. Oh yeah, Can get a lot get of a, hardcore candlestick in I, I, a little bit. Like, let's give give me some Red Shoe Diaries at mm-hmm. least. I feel like X Files had more smut than this. Like, there's no yes. for a book that is so. Uh, there's just no. I I think that was a big problem too. Is I just didn't buy the chemistry because you don't see any sexual chemistry. And like, I know that you don't need that. Or at least some people argue that, but I do think that you you kind of. I mean, Charles Bronson's getting more action in Five Death Wishes than fucking Jake, who's <laughs> thirty years younger. I yep. can't believe you. Look what you've done to me, Rachel. Never has a problem pulling in the ladies. <laughs> yeah. yeah, like there's no fuck- diaphragm. Which what? Come on, or what yeah. did they mention? They, yeah, in the book, there's yeah. diaphragm. Yeah, you're it's right. very... You're making it for Hulu. You're trying to match Netflix and HBO. Let's give it a little. Uh, a you know, little there's PG-13. no pound cake. Is it? There's wait, no does, pound cake. There's no pound cake. No, no pound this cake. is. Yeah. There's a uh, what is it? A casserole? There's enchiladas. Enchiladas. There's enchiladas. <laughs> Which, by the way, is kind of King's Dominion because enchiladas, I believe, in elevation. Oh yes, holy for holies. Yeah, they're two yeah. years advance. That maybe King gave him an advance of an elevation. And like, well, Friday the Thirteenth Part. Three. Oh <laughs> yeah, I think it's yeah, I think it is three. Um, enchiladas the, not quite the euphemism pound cake is though. Not a big it fan implies. of enchiladas. <laughs> I will I say I the pound year. cake I get is Josh Dumel. I am down for mm. that. He's so a bad would, guy, but I like uh, looking at him. Okay, so we got to ask this question, Jen, because we're in the smut <laughs> section of the spot. So, are you going after Sarsgaard, Randall Flag, or oh. Duamel, Damel? Uh, Dunning. I mean, Skarsgård, Randall Flagg, absolutely. Look, Mm. I would not kick either of them out of bed. Both, I mean, if I had the option for both, (laughs) then yes. But no, I mean, nobody's beating. Plus, I feel like Frank Dunning is super hot in this role, but he's also like a huge scumbag. And Randall Flagg is a bad guy but he's also kind of a fun villain like he eats somebody yeah plus you know my blonde guy covered in blood that's gonna get me every single time well i know you rachel knows well (laughs) yes this is more pound cake in your description than was in the the entire show that's exactly right yes i was anthony stark happy (laughs) anthony stark could have been frank dunning oh yeah that would have been cool that would be cool we ship sarah (laughs) gadone and Uh, i can't even say his name either now mike's got me Josh Dumel. Ja- I'm doubting myself from Mike's Josh pronunciation. Josh Dumel. I'm just going to fuck it up. <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't want to say anything, though, because, you know, Jen is 
arguably my closest friend in the world. And I, and I wanted to, you know, no, no shade to anyone here uh, who <laughs> I've known for 15 <laughs> years. Um, Thanks, no, but no, no. Um, but I, I, I didn't say anything because I just got worried based on our chats, but I am close friends with Alexander Skarsgård. And he <gasps> told me that, and I texted him earlier. I said, Hey, Alex, um, you know, give me some inside news, some <gasps> beats into what you did with the, in King's Dominion. And he said, well, funny enough, uh, they did, they were supposed to have more episodes mm-hmm. of the Stan miniseries. So I had to cut a lot of the characterizations that I originally was going to have for Randall Flagg. Uh-huh. And so I saved it <gasps> for HBO Succession. So Randall Flagg uh-huh. was initially supposed to send blood bags of himself to, uh, you, know, <gasps> you know, Nadine and all this other stuff. So you Just said that you want to be with, head, yeah, you want to be with Alexander Skarsgård, Randall oh, Flagg. Yeah. So it looks like you would, he will send you blood bags like he does hey, to the, you know, in succession. Bring it on. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Give me all the Alexander Skarsgård yeah. blood bags. <laughs> uh, I, I love that. But he the, has at, to deliver them personally. Okay. So, so th- are you, what are you going to do with the, is it going to be like a, a hostile two thing where you're just going to let, let the, bla- the blood like bathe? Like Carrie. And, and then she's oh. going to have powers. <laughs> yes. That's how I get my powers. Yes. Jesus do the Christ. blade blood rave music yeah. at the same time. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> it's funny that I, I said at the top yeah. of the episode, it was like, you're going to make this a two hour episode and I'm yeah. gonna be really tight with no tangents. No tangents. And I spent like 15 minutes doing dumb fucking bits. So I apologize anyway. Um, I never apologize for talking about Alexander Skarsgård. Well, we talked about Skarsgård, but we really know that Skarsgård is not a part of 112263, but you could argue he's a larger part of King's Dominion. There's another world out there. I know there is. So, as we saw in Castle Rock, the show that succeeded this, also on Hulu, tons of Easter eggs. Tons. Probably some of the most Easter eggs we've ever seen. Some of the deep cut Easter eggs in a Stephen King property. I'd say that this has a few Easter eggs of its own. Um, this is Round Robin. Any, any that, that came to mind? What did you, what did you catch? Uh, Jen, you're nodding. So it seems as if you have uh, a plethora of uh, Kings Dominion here. I do. I had an exhaustive list for some episodes and some more <sighs> just vibes um, for later episodes. But so in episode one, the book is always better. And then somebody says, mm. I'm his number one fan. We have killing a pig like Carrie. There's the Shawshank. When he goes and stands in the rain right before Bill like holds up the newspaper, it's a very Shawshank moment. Mm-hmm. And then Agent Hosty is actually um, in Shawshank. He's the one. Who, oh, he is. Yeah. Oh, he's the one that gets one. killed. Yeah. Jill, Gil Bellows, I think is. Gil name Bellows. Is? Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh, yeah. From Allie yeah. McBeal. Yeah. 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 God, I love, I love that actor, too. Um, I do. He's great in this. I prefer him, this characterization, to the book. Yeah. Hosty. Um, any others? Rachel. Uh, yeah, I'm out. Yeah. Well, Annette O'Toole. Oh, yeah. That's right. Plays. That's kind of our stand-in for Derry when it's not Derry, right? Yeah. Oh, Plays Mrs. Yeah. Price, and she's mm-hmm. Beverly Marsh, right? Yeah. So yeah. Um, there's King's Dominion there. Also, That's a very King character, too. Like, yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah, lots of graffiti. Wait, did you say that? The red rum graffiti? Yeah. Yeah, which um, is kind of strange. It's At the book silly. depository, this says Whatever. red rum on the stairwell. The it's yeah. stupid. There's like um, St. Bernard just happens to amble by. You know? <laughs> I found like, this. It, it was in, in one of the. <laughs> it was in one of the articles that um, Carpenter wrote for EW. She revealed that uh, the location of General Walker's rally was the same location where the Dead Zone was filmed. Oh, that's cool. 
So there's yeah. that. Cool. And then um, the guys who are beating up Jake, they drove, that's a 1957 Chevy 150. And then sometimes they come back. Oh, yeah. That's also a Chevy 150. That's a cool so. deep cut. I like that. <laughs> nice. that's a very Love loose, them. maybe room 237. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I have a couple. Go for it. Uh, James Franco in the episode one, he says, I'm his number one fan. Yep. Yeah. Misery reference. Um, Sadie, when they say where she went to college, she said she went to Bates. And that's the name of the school in Cary. That's mm. right. Good call. Good call. Um, and then uh, Captain Trips is spray painted in mm. the future apocalypse society. Ooh. It's just briefly on like a parking garage. And I got one tied to Trips. Oh, go did, for it. Did anyone see Randall Flag? No. No. Mm, it's pretty creepy. Where, he's supposed to be because they bump into somebody who might be him when they're trying to get to stop the assassination, right? Is so that when he pops up? If you look at when they're running towards the, you know, the traffic jam, it's like when they get out of the car, mm-hmm. a guy in a bike wearing all denim and, a, and like red hair, blowing red hair, like rides by him and kind of does like a, a look over. Wait, are you serious? I'm not joking. No. Who really? plays him? Do yeah. we know? I don't know, but it's it seems pretty... Yeah, that's that's supposed oh, to be sure. I'm sure it is. Right? Yeah, like, and I want. Yeah, okay. I couldn't confirm this, but I I, I want to say in the the episode where he goes, I think it's the first episode where he goes to Dallas, and he you know he meets Sadie at the same time. He's I think he's in the the background somewhere. I can't remember. Oh. Um, but what if that was King's cameo? Oh, that that's <laughs> another like, thing. It's like there was no King cameo. Whole, yeah, that's true. Yeah, which is. But I also think that it speaks to J.J. Abrams just. The fact that there aren't a ton of not just Easter eggs, but King's Dominion, he's such a mega fan, but he focuses on like the big thing and loses all the little details. Mike Flanagan has a completely opposite approach, and you could argue mm-hmm. he maybe does too many Easter eggs, mm. but I think he's getting into like the granular elements of King, whereas J.J. Abrams mm-hmm. is like a lot more like, oh, big picture, get it, it's King, red rum, haha. Top yeah. down versus bottom up. Yeah, you yeah. Know? yeah. I will say so. I. You know, I I wanted to do the the approach that you did, Jen, where I just write down Easter eggs as we go on. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I had just finished. We just finished the six episodes of the the book, and I just wanted to watch the fucking show. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I I spend way too much time writing notes when I'm doing like Halloweenies and stuff. So I was like, you know what? I'm just gonna look them up. And boy, almighty, senior writer, Yahoo Entertainment, Ethan Alter, my hats off to you because these 18 Stephen King Easter eggs that he spotted are pretty fucking phenomenal. Oh, and wow. I, I couldn't believe how deep cuts these are. So I stand corrected by Yahoo. The, so Kramer's Dairy in episode one, the milkman that Jake witnesses breaking a milk bottle, bottle over and over again yeah. works for the same dairy that employs Spike Milligan, the psycho delivery guy from the Skeleton Crew short story, Morning Deliveries. Okay. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> That is fucking cool. I I didn't, you know, that's that's a that's a great like wow. deep cut. You don't have to have a milk. No, it's it's just it's fucking awesome. So what then if the there other was one, a spider in the in one of the jars, that would be cool. Oh, that'd been yeah, that'd been cool. Um, Maybe that's why he drops it. Yeah, Maybe. that's that could be it. It's like ah, spider. spider. That's where it comes from. It's like ah, oh, fuck <laughs> that. Um, so bombers barbershop. And this is the write-up. As the titular heroine of Stephen King's 2006 novel, Lisey Story, explores her dead husband's past, she discovers that he came from a real screwed-up family headed up by an abusive father. In one flashback, that father orders his son to visit a Mr. Bomber to get a trim. up. That is 
these are the de- these are the type of Easter eggs I like. These are lived in Easter eggs, and this is kind of like you now see where this team went on to create Castle Rock, and that was what was yeah. so great about Castle Rock, where these type of Easter eggs, because it felt like, oh no, you're not just creating Easter eggs, you're you're going back to the town. Like this is you know foundational. Yeah, um, this is another story we just didn't hear yet. God, it's just yeah, it, yeah that's pretty fucking cool. Um, obviously, there's Christine. Um, mm-hmm. that we get into there's uh the blue lib- the blue ribbon laundry <gasps> Ooh, in the episode mangler. two that that Is you can see it Carrie that's Carrie yeah and Carrie and uh, the mangler, and the mangler yeah. yeah yeah so in um I guess in uh episode two you can see it which I guess technically doesn't make much sense because it's in Kentucky but yeah whatever it's still details yeah um. So the other one is, uh, this is wild too. So Yoder's five and dime store, which is also an episode two, the small five and dime that poor little Harry wanders into after local bullies leave him pantless is named Yoder's, the same convenience shop that services the, the town of Tarker's Mills located in down the road from Chester's Mill and under the dome. Mm. Again, layer after layer. Yeah. Um, yeah so then uh, they, they basically make the pharmacist Norbert Kane that one that's in there yeah. he's a little nicer in this but in, it doesn't make any sense because it's not in dairy but hey whatever the um, bullies are very henry bowers-esque too yes. when they take his pants yeah yeah um this is a weird one but i guess two of the kids are in costumes there's an amish like farmer and a monster clad in green pajamas and a bizarre mask children of the corn oh okay all yeah. right it's it, looking oh, at it it it, it, it kind of yeah. checks out it's pretty cool um huh. there's a kid in a clown costume pennywise um <laughs> yeah the, the stilson thing with the rally is really fucking cool i did not catch yeah, that that and is cool that is really awesome um the dirty little birdie obviously the misery oh, thing yeah, um yeah. so oh, this is so crazy i can't believe this so again kudos to i have to give credit because i'm reading all this but ethan alter just fucking killed it here uh when he's not torturing his ex-wife and her new lover johnny sells cleaning supplies for his company westover bleach uh westover is referenced in carrie as a main town as a main town mm-hmm. occasionally that reports oh, wow. a strange activity yeah. pretty fucking cool yeah um what other ones uh panther pride oh the panther pride thing i think is is supposed to be friday night lights reference maybe but yeah um yeah so that that that's pretty cool um oh yeah so they do have the randall flag thing so i'll, I'll send you the, li- the 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 list here because you could see it it's pretty it's pretty creepy he's got the, the the flag there you already called the red rum um Oh, yeah. Um, all right. So walk in the Green Mile. Before being led Jack Ruby style through the parade of por- por- reporters, the Dallas cops warned Jake that he might have a date with old Sparky. That's the, the one from Green Mile. And then yeah. the last one he says is, uh, yeah, the, you already mentioned the, the, the Captain Trips thing, right? So that's it. I mean, that's, that's wow. pretty awesome. Like the, the, the deep cuts in that, Man, they might that might even rival some of the stuff that's in the original Castle Rock seasons. Like that that mm-hmm. bomber thing They're is wild. Deep, like deep. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Back and those are the fun ones, like that we haven't seen a bunch. Too, yeah, you know. Like if I see another fucking Christine reference, I mean, I know you love Christine, but it's it's a yeah. lot. I, it's like yeah. you know, it's yeah. it's too much. Um, apologize, J.J. Abrams is a gentleman and a scholar. <laughs> oh, yes. well, hey, my my hats off to you, Mister Star Wars. Uh, <laughs> Something tells me it wasn't him, though. It came up with no, no. I'm sure it was just definitely no. all, all the sec directors who were like, "I'm a huge Stephen King fan." Yeah. Maybe they wrote a Vice article to get on. Um, oh, maybe. <laughs> or maybe, like us, they wrote their final thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> Dad, 
Dad, can we go now? You ready? Yeah, we've been ready for an hour. <laughs> okay, I'll be right there. He said that a half hour ago. Yeah, my dad's weird. He gets like that when he's writing. Just a fucking lazy segment. Hey, we're, we're at gotta three get to hours. The end. That we're works. At three hours. I'm. We went way overboard. I'm already. I cannot. I'm so sorry. I'm just. Such hey, a, I'm awful at this. It's um, our pod. We know who we're dealing with. We yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, Jen, kick us off. Man, I, I don't know. I have a lot of problems with this, but I think. Oh, ultimately it does win me over. I think Dan, I agree with you. Like it is, it is very watchable. If I didn't, I, I don't know how I would feel about it if I hadn't read and loved the book. But aside from James Franco, which is a big issue for me, there's so much that I love and it feels like it's really trying to do the book justice. I I don't think I can get over losing the of mice and men thing and the Jody Jamboree. Those are two of my favorite parts of the book. And Franco does not work for me, but so many other things really do. And I think they make enough changes. Like I don't need it to be super faithful and I appreciate changes to fit the medium. And I think they do make some smart changes um, for better or worse. They don't always work, but the ones that do, I think, work well so i'm gonna i'm gonna give it three. Mm, nice yeah nice that's fair that's fair uh figure yeah kind of going on what jen said i i don't know that i would have watched this had i not read the book and i'm usually not susceptible to ip like that but if it's got stephen king on it i am gonna watch it and i'm really happy that i did because it it almost feels like a little time capsule of the mid 2010s streaming. Like we were saying, Hulu was just trying to come out the gate big. There's some swings that connect and some that don't, but I think the heart probably because of the Friday night lights connection, they understand that building to that big emotional payoff is going to be worth it. And I was getting very emotional at the end. So despite some of the clunkiness, I'm going to give this three and a half mm. bright red Pennywise clown noses close to four. And I'm yeah. a harsh grader. You are a you harsh are. grader. Yeah. It's you rare are. that I get outgraded. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's fair. So, you know, that's, yeah, that's yeah. good. You know, we, uh, we shake it up here at the losers club. Hey, Dan's a softy at heart too. Yeah. Why we love it. <laughs> yeah. It's also revelatory because it's like, you know, this kickstarted a whole career for you in loving JFK because you're like, I can't believe that's this true. Happened. I'm just going <laughs> to so hammer that bit down. Wait, his name is John and Jack. I'm John <laughs> and Jack. That makes no sense. Uh, what Rachel. What stand for? Yeah. Like, I mean, this book is a beast, right? We all know mm. there's only, you know, six episodes on it if you need proof. And so like, I get <laughs> it. There's That's hard. That's a big task to undertake to turn into a mini series. So I don't hold it against anybody for yeah having to excise some, some content to make it happen. Um, I, yeah, it was, it was interesting revisiting it because my opinions have definitely changed since I first watched it, but also that's just the nature of what we've, how the, the medium has evolved and how streaming has evolved. And, you know, the other things we've been exposed to in those years after that, I, did find myself still affected by some moments between Sadie and Jake. And it, like, just like Dan said, it, it sticks the landing for me. Yeah. And there's enough of it there that I think 
is worthwhile, even if it's a little polished, a little, you know, picturesque and not quite as maybe as gritty as I would like. I still think it's got its heart in the right place. Um, so, I'm, yeah, I'm giving it three, three out of five. Sweet, sweet. Well, where do I go? Well, I guess here's the thing. I, I really was high on this series, I think, eight years ago. And I think after you know everything we discussed today and especially the the long long exhaustive tangent which i went on about you know the evolution of the stephen king miniseries i've kind of maybe you know pulled my punches a little or you know drawn back a little bit more on the praise for it than i i had initially going into this um having said that you know when you measure this up to the miniseries that have come out i mean this is top three material you know i think this is you know yeah, just bottom line, I was really surprised to even find myself tearing up at the yeah. end of this. You know, and the fact that Sammy, who is very critical uh, of this series, she even teared up at the end. And it, it says something. I mean, it says that they 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 managed to land what is truly, as you said, Rachel, just this epic tome. I mean, it's just it's you know the I think given the density of this novel, the destiny of having a solid adaptation was pretty much in, you know up in the air um but it's it's really solid i mean i think you know as much as we want the gritty the production value is still strong mm-hmm. um for me it does feel very similar to a lot of the the darabont world i think a lot of that has to do with the score but i also mm-hmm. think of just a, a little bit about how they you know cast this too with a lot of uh, you know veteran character actors that would be or at least seem like they're from the cut from the same cloth that darabont works with um i think this is a telling springboard for Castle Rock, um, but ultimately revisiting it, it 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 feels like sort of this weird, uh, I don't know, relic of a what if, because I look at this now and I go, oh, this has got to be the start of some great stuff coming out. And I think as we've learned as we've been doing this podcast, it's, I mean, this is probably one of the what the top five or six things to come out in the last ten years for Stephen King. And we you could hear us, we had some critical things to say about it. So. Um, having said that, I still, uh, yeah, I love the series and I love that it brought to life one of my favorite stories of all time. So I, I got to go three and a half Pennywise Clown Noses. Maybe eight years ago, I probably would have gotten four. Um, mm-hmm. but Hey, I was spared. I spared all the AV club readers with giving me, giving <laughs> a minus reviews over and over again. Cause I, I was certainly plugged in when it first came out. Um, all right. I think that averages out to like what? 3.25. Good. Yeah. Honestly. <laughs> not bad. That's not bad. I mean, I, th- yeah. I think it's probably higher than the Night Flyer, so that's good. Um, <laughs> Is that the bar? <laughs> yeah, it's the bar. Um, Fair. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, well, barring some last-minute interviews, because I did reach out to a few names that are tied to the show, and I haven't heard back, so who knows? If it, if it happens, it happens. McWorld. Um, Alexander Skarsgård? Oh, it did. I was like, hey, can we talk to you about... Eleven twenty-two sixty-three, but through the lens. I just want to know what you stand. think about Randall Flag. Yeah, of Randall Flag, and you know um, whether or not you would bring bud bags um, to Nadine. Oh, um, I would die. Yeah. Well, this right, is it. I think on. this is. I think this is kind of the end of the the eleven twenty-two. I know we have we have a character corner episode. We have to figure out a timing for. We're supposed to do it in December. We're supposed to do it in January. We are going to do it in January, even though we only have six more days. I feel like Uh, it. You know, maybe it's a good Valentine's Day thing. Yeah, that could be a good. Let's let's save it for Valentine's Day. So maybe we have one more episode of Eleven Twenty Two, and maybe we have a few more if we get the interviews. Anyway, I just want to say it's been a hell of a run. Um, I was really thinking about it just when I finished the episode last night. I was like, man, this is 
I remember having so much anxiety going into this and mm -hmm. and here we are we've concluded the the mini series run which I which you know I'm glad it was a little longer because I think this deserves it and I think some of the conversations that we had here today were were pretty exemplary and not what I expected honestly I yeah, think we went on a, on a bunch of tangents which is hey that's what you want from a book that's what you want from an episode of uh, the losers club but um thanks everyone seriously and especially you know Jen Flieger for going on this journey this entire time and Rachel this is the second app third or second yeah. Or third? yeah so second for 1122 second okay um well, for thank now, you to lead in the ship. Hey, this is, this was a this is huge a, undertaking. So. I, I said it at the beginning. This is this is my uh, the, the, the last real big hurrah before we just have <laughs> to like you know kind of figure out to have some fun in Kings Dominion, I suppose. But hey, this was fun. Um, also fun were these moxies and hanging out here at Frank's. Um, but before we go, let's do some plugs. Uh, Jen. You've got a fiftieth podcast right now. Um, the <laughs> Lady do, Killers. Right. Um, What's going on over there? Well, we just released our Urban Legend episode oh. with one Rachel Reeves Indeed. talking about yes. one of my all-time favorite movies. So that was really fun. And February, we are doing a whole bunch of bad romance. So last night, we just recorded on Hellraiser. We're going to be talking about Jennifer's body. Mm. Um, we did Fatal Attraction. We are going to, I'm going to watch Audition for the first time, and we're going to talk about <laughs> that. So lots of really, really bangers. fun. I know, yeah, yeah. lots of bangers coming up. It's not at all intimidating. I um, warned yeah. uh, Sammy about Audition. I said, do not eat anything while you're watching this movie. That's Yes, that's what I've heard too. So yeah, we may. Oh, have you haven't to just seen it. Text. I haven't seen it yet. Oh I've read God. the book, but I haven't. Grab seen Grab a nice it. bowl of soup. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> oh. Yeah, I know, uh, I know what's gonna happen, but yeah. So we may have to text support each other as we're watching yeah. it. Fligger, you yeah. fall asleep to this movie, or um, no, I'm just, <laughs> yeah, I'm just joking. That does check Come out. On. Post climax. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh God. Jesus. Uh, yeah, it's a it's a gripping movie. Um, and, and being that in more ways than one. Um, <laughs> oh, God. good God. Uh, Rachel, what have we got over at the Halloweenies and Girls and Boys? Yeah, Halloweenies. Alien. Yeah. The first episode has dropped with two more to come. I can't believe um, it's, yeah, so fun, so exciting, so alien fans. But also, you know, we've got some other lighter fare. We're going to be covering Valentine for mm. our next um, The Isle and some other fun episodes to kind of, you know, balance the, the heavy <laughs> with the lighter. So lots of great stuff there. And then Girls on the Boys, we just started season three. So we will be venturing into that. And Ooh, oh, wow. Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. The first episode. My boy. Yep. Yeah. blew me away so uh -huh. yeah very exciting stuff happening over there as well what are you do you got any interviews coming up any uh, editorials you're working on too um yes Ooh. oh we'll keep it secret <laughs> we'll keep it secret uh, yeah, yeah they all have it they're that's, not all that, confirmed and that's fair that's fair okay uh Flieger. alexander has not gotten back to us yet so yes, oh, yeah he's well, not he's answering my calls it's like alexander the uh the, the, the young woman they haven't from gotten Nashville the blood yet. emailed you for the 50th time today. Um, today, not even the year. Um, Flieger, you're back with a new Dark Tower detour. Yeah, taking inspiration from one of my favorite wrestlers, Scott Hall, mm. uh, Razor Ramon. Oh. He says, hard work pays off, dreams come true, bad times don't last, but bad guys do. <gasps> so we are going to have a Dark Tower tier list <laughs> of the greatest villains, the baddies, the ne'er-do-wells throughout the series. So Amazing. stay tuned. 
I bet and you say hello to the bad guy. <laughs> <laughs> I bet you that the Crimson King's number one, right? And uh, Mordred at number two. Oh, and, you just ruined absolutely. it. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. It was rolling self-doubt yeah. that was the biggest news. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and we are going to be back with more Dark Tower because uh, there's oh, yeah. a, a, a wind through the keyhole coming up. A wind up. through the keyhole coming through. Yeah. Very good March. book. Um, God, what do we have coming up? We have so much stuff. We have so much stuff. So tonight we have just rounded out our eleven twenty-two sixty-three, which will we're I'm going to be dropping in hopefully forty-five minutes. Uh, actually, make it thirty-four. Uh, but we also are going to be recording our long watch on Christine. Uh, we have a, sp- a special guest with that, in addition to hopefully an interview to tie with that as well. That's going to kick off February. I know it's supposed to be January, but hey, look, uh, shit happens. Um, yeah. And. So we have that, and we've got a lot more fun coverage coming up in uh, February, which we'll be unlocking a really fun episode we did last year about the best sex scenes in King's Dominion, which was a oh, Patreon yeah. exclusive. So that'll be fun. That'll be Some fun. more smut. The smut you didn't get in this series, well, we're bringing it there. It's a pretty fucking wild episode. And <laughs> then, oh boy, what else? We're going to be talking about Salem's Lot 2004. Um, they'll keep you tidy until Salem's Lot is either dropped for tax reasons or... <laughs> never comes whenever it comes out we'll see and um we you know we've got we've still got stuff to to release this uh this month i believe we've we've got we had an oops all tangents episode on the sexiest serial mascots don't ask um that's in the the barons yeah we i mentioned the whole conversation dedicated to sci-fi is haven um and Flickr just mentioned the hinted at the dark tower detour and yeah, the character corners coming up on Sadie to round us out on uh, the eleven twenty two. So we've got a lot of a lot of stuff. This is the cleaning crew coming in. We're we're, we're closing <laughs> some doors so we can open Get some new done. ones because this year, you've seen the schedule. We've got a lot coming up. We've we've got some some months have two books. So yeah, get reading. Get reading. Look at that book guide and get the books. Go to your Barnes and Noble or your local Borders, your B Dalton or your Walden Books and grab all the books that you need for season eight of the losers club for now though follow us on socials instagram x fb whatever give us some bright red pennywise clown noses by leaving us a review on apple Podcasts or radius on rating us on uh, spotify you can even do like a q a thing if you like the episode or if you didn't like the episode uh you can tell us and guess what we'll uh, guess which which comments we'll publish uh <laughs> anyway both help as always and uh thank you again to the great bard Charlie Lawrence of the most for our most excellent song, uh, the Friends song, and our trusty editor, Kyle Rosevich, but also me this t- tonight because <laughs> I'm going to keep us along the beam because I have to turn this around in 30 minutes. Oh, uh, but for you, you get to enjoy the sweet sounds of Losers Club over long days and, and pleasant, pleasant nights. This is the end of our show, for now. We hope you enjoyed this production. If you like our programming, consider searching for other bloody disgusting podcasts, such as Creepy, Horror Queers, The Boo Crew, SCP Archives, Nightlight, Margaret's Garden, and more. <laughs>